Civil Sentinel Podcast. What's up, fellas? How's it going? Going good. Drinking some brewskis. Same here. Thanks for having me back on. So, Super Bowl Sunday, we're uh, recording, and uh, we're going to hit up Wyoming Survival tonight and talk a little bit about uh, his experience with comms, and uh, he's doing some small unit tactics. He's doing some comms training classes. We're going to dive into some of that stuff. And tonight, uh, we got... Resilient Civilian is back. Andy, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. Thanks again for having me back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Civil Sentinel. My name's Jake. Uh, This is the Civil Sentinel podcast episode, what are we on? Six. Of course, we got Florida Man Outdoors. Should be a good one. This will be our first four-man conversation. Wyoming Survival. We want to keep this focused around you and talk about some of your training and uh, uh, try to gear this towards some of the new guys out there. Real quick, let's play a game. It's called Aim That Sound. You ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> most hated radio on the market. Or the most loved, whichever side you're on. You should probably go find your nearest trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, best thing for those radios are the fox, the fox hunting with an MP3 player. <laughs> we did it yesterday. Yeah, that is actually probably one of the better things to use that for. Uh, I noticed, so this is kind of odd, and I, I don't know where the problem is. The aux cord that we used between the phone and the radio, we didn't use one of the um, um, APRS cords. We just used an aux cord straight through. It, it, one one direction didn't work, but we flipped the aux cord around, and it worked. I I have absolutely no idea. We we got it we, like we were playing with it in my garage and it was working and they were like what the heck not working we had it working this morning what what's going on and uh, one of the guys was like just just flip the cord around just see if that works so it's like dude if if it's not working it's not working sure enough we flip the cord around thing starts talking again it's like what in the how does that work is it a is it bad ground wire what's going on there but we got it working so it's good so it sounds like you guys doing kind of some of the same training that we're doing fox hunting that stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, who you are and tell us a little bit about your page and, uh, how'd you get into comms? How long have you been in the comms? Well, all right. Well, I am known as Wyoming Survival right now, but actually started this school, uh, me and my brother in 2010 and it was Wyoming Survival and Tactics. Now we basically just taught firearms. That's what we were teaching. Um, trying to put something local for everyone around here. And, uh, we did that for 10 years or better. And then he decided he wanted to just part ways, you know, no, no, he just was done with teaching, which I don't blame him a little bit. So I kind of backed off all of it. Um, actually, this Instagram page was kind of changed a couple times. It was like Wyoming off grid, I think. Uh, and I had some people reaching out to me about doing alms instructions. So I kind of went back in and I actually enjoy doing the teaching the calm stuff. So I decided I would, uh, Start teaching a little bit of comms classes. It's kind of where I've got, where I'm at now. Um, right on. How long you been into radio? Oh, I got my, when did I get my tech license? I think it was 2015. I think I got my tech. I didn't, wasn't even into radio, man. I had a good friend, uh, one of my training partners. He's like, hey, let's go get our tech license. And I'm like, yeah. 
uh, I guess, whatever, you know, being a buddy, I went and got it with him. And then uh, tech stuff to me is kind of boring. And I like HF a lot better. So um, I like, I want to do HF stuff. And I actually bought an HF radio before I had my general. And I really wanted to dig into that. And I was like, so I had the radio, I had digital programs running, I was listening. It wasn't broadcasting. I was like, I got to get my general. And so I jumped into that. And then I had to force that guy. And it took almost a year to force him into getting his general license. Nice, nice. Is he local with you? He was. He is not here anymore. He uh, moved out to Wisconsin. Um, he was one of, we did a, so I am into the training. I started training in 2006, uh, private, cl- you know, private training, civilian training. Uh, started doing that. And then after a while, you kind of get, Square range shooting gets bored, so we started looking more into team tactics stuff, and uh, we were going to go to a team tactics school on the East Coast. There was a group of us, actually, and uh ended up contacting a SF, an old SF guy um, from up here that had a actual legit contracting company he was in he had guys in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he was starting to work on the civilian market and uh, so we contacted him about getting a class going on, and he was like, hey, I'll, I'll sort you guys out. I've got a great idea. And so what he did was he did, I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of the Recondo course in Vietnam. He had been part of the Recondo classes, um, and that's what he kind of gave a civilian version of the three-week Recondo class to us. So we're actually... My group of guys are actually the original out of this school, uh, TSI, Solutions International or Tactile Training International. He's got two different companies. Uh, original Recondo graduates. It took us, did each, it took three years. We did a week each, except for the third week was actually like 10 days. And uh, we graduated that course, actually got tabbed out as Recondos in that class. So he, that my friend was part of that training group. Right on. That's rad, man. Yeah, that is super cool. Got your uh, wyomingsurvival.org page pulled up. You got a little bit of a resume here for a bunch of the training uh, courses that you've done. Looks like you've done some pretty fun stuff. It's like yeah, you, you did the Suarez International AK gunfighting class. That's awesome, man. Fighting contest is on here. It looks like you met, uh, you got to meet Pat Mack. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Pat Mack actually was funny. It was He was here in Wyoming. I don't even, we never did figure out who hosted him. But he was actually up here in Wyoming. So that was a good class. Basic dude stuff. Um, dudes, I love those videos. Yeah, um, I just got to bring this up. I trained with Craig Douglas in his ECQC class, and uh, if you carry a firearm, a daily basic that that class should be mandatory. That class, but I will. I have to give a disclaimer. I actually fractured my leg and tore my MCL in that class. It was that rough. Damn. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't finish the last. I couldn't finish the last exercise because my leg was was destroyed um but um i've had multiple friends go through it i went with it with my friends and i'm that class should be mandatory for anyone who carries a gun that class is an eye opener from hell it's uh it's a great class i couldn't actually that's uh craig douglas is it like a conceal is it a concealed carry like class if if yeah i mean it, it it's not really a concealed carry it's just if you carry a gun and, it, and okay. he goes through a lot of stuff i mean if you were a cop there were a multiple cops in there they would benefit from it, but if you're a concealed carry holder, you will benefit from that class. It is the 
Probably the biggest eye-opener in class I've ever had. And I think it you learn the most. I mean, and he's pretty good at judging. Like, I'm not a I'm not an MMA guy. No, I, don't, I never train in MMA. Um, he had some really hardcore MMA guys in there. He did not put me against those guys, thank God. Because I was like, please don't put me against a guy with cauliflower ear. Because <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I can't deal with that. That dude will kill me. You know, and he, he does a pretty good job of judging who's at the same, close to the same levels. Um, it, it wasn't really based as a law enforcement class. So, I mean, don't, you wouldn't think, don't think that. It is pretty good as a concealed carry class, I would say. It's more based towards that. But um, if you carry a gun in day-to-day life, I would highly recommend that class for any everybody should take that. Do anything online or is it in-person only? It's in-person only. He's on, he's on Instagram. It's on ShivWorks is his page. Oh, he's ShivWorks? Yeah. Yeah. Craig Douglas is ShivWorks. Uh, yeah. I've heard his name thrown out there quite a bit, but I didn't know that he was ShivWorks. That makes sense. In fact, his class was one of the one of the close to the last classes I've taken. Um, so I did nice. that right at the start of COVID, right at twenty February. I think it was February twenty twenty. We were in Vegas. Yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, looks like yeah. you got the uh, brush beater scout course, RTO, advanced RTO, signals intelligence. That is correct. I've actually taken that a few times. Well, I mean, I hosted him, so I sat in all last year. He's Very a good cool, friend. Man. I'm going to tell you, so I, d- I did this, the Recondo class, which, like I said, was taught by an SF guy. We had finished that before I'd ever taken Brush Beater's class. Um, go to Brush Beater's class. We do, just did the RTO. That's all we did. And we realized how much we were missing out of the Recondo class in the comms world. That RTO class really opened our eyes on what we were missing. I now incorporate that in any kind of small unit training. Funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you think like- you're... you're I think you're with a, you're with some SF guys, and you're like these guys should know this, and it di- they w- didn't. I was actually quite surprised. But the comms portion, yeah, the comms portion, our SF guys were like they had n- none of that was in the in that Recondo class. You know, none of the the stuff that was in the RTO it actually should have been in that Recondo class was not in there. You know, it's such an important aspect of uh, tactics and preparedness and training, and I think until recently it's been very overlooked. But I'm I'm really stoked to see comms. Picking up as much interest and esteem as it is, and um, got a good community going. I'm really thrilled about it. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm I'm one of the like newest additions to the whole comms thing. I've been doing this for like a year now, and you know, just since I've gotten into it, I could, I've noticed that it's just it's just exploding. Especially recently, my page has just been like exploding. People, I get DMs every day of people wanting to know more about P25. And, and packet data and, and emissions control and all that stuff. Me too, man. Uh, when I started this Civil Sentinel page, I just wanted something that I didn't, I could follow some tactics and post a few little radio th- things that I was working on, just kind of dinking around a little bit. And I never intended for it to like go anywhere. Almost immediately, people started messaging me asking for help with comms and stuff. And kind of that, that became what it was about. Yeah. It's, it's kind of par for the course for a lot of these Instagram pages is helping help answer those questions, helping fill in the gaps, get people caught up to speed, that sort of thing. Yeah, that was the same thing for me, too. I had no intention of starting off as a comms page. I just started off as more of a um, preparedness page, and you know, it was the comms that stuck. Chicken posts don't get any attention, but radios, people want to know about radios. They don't care about the chickens. I don't know, dude. Chicken posts be getting pretty popular now. You're basically a millionaire if you got a <laughs> Yeah. Dude, if you got eggs, you are. But the 
the case of eggs I've been buying, I think we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago about how like uh, at my local like grocery store, I go to a Winn-Dixie mostly. And uh, I've been buying, luckily, like the price hadn't gone up on the eggs in a long time. Like they initially went up from like, I think it was like $1.90 something for 18 eggs. It went up to $3.99. I just went to the store yesterday. That 18 rack of eggs is $6.99 now. And we're paying $5.99 for a dozen here. I just gave Damn. 18 away for free yesterday. So here's a question to Resilient. Are you having the uh, conspiracy theory food problem? Because I'm not getting any eggs out of my ducks, and they usually lay all winter long. So we, we've we been trying to feed them the um, that Producer's Pride brand, and our chickens, they really won't touch it. Like they, It doesn't matter what we try to mix in with it, they won't eat it. They mainly just kind of free range around the yard when there isn't any snow. And we give them uh, just scratch grains the rest of the time. And we've been getting, uh, there's one of our four that is still not laying. But the other three, we're, we're typically getting two to three eggs a day. But uh, I was just talking to one of my neighbors the other day. And she was saying that one of her friends was having that exact same problem. Feeding them producer's pride and they weren't laying at all. The friend actually started feeding her chickens uh, goat feed. And it was a night and day difference. She had more eggs than she knew what to do with. I just saw a video recently of somebody who did that. I'm going to have to jump into the goat feet, too, because I'm not getting anything. And these ducks, the last two years, have laid all winter long. Yeah, we're going to give the goat feet a try, too, and see what happens. I was going to say, my ducks, I think, have quit laying in October, and there was should be no reason for that. It's weird. I wonder if they're, uh, they must have some kind of spidey sense to something going on in the atmosphere or something. Something. I know if they don't start laying come this spring won't be having any more well i know ducks. the whole the whole conspiracy thing about it like he was saying is they're they're putting something in that in that food that's keeping their the, keeping your you know birds from laying eggs it's either they're putting something in it or they've reduced the amount of protein that's in it yeah or they took something out of it the 5g 5g <laughs> i have actually had a rougher winter this year than i have the last two years so that could be part of my problem that's why i'm going to wait till spring rolls around to see what actually happens yeah, I got an aunt who lives pretty close to me, actually, and I need to start just going and getting eggs from uh, them. I talked to him not too long ago about doing that. And she was like, yeah, just come on over. We'll give you eggs. And I was like, I mean, we'll even trade. I was like, uh, my fiance, you know, bakes uh, bread a lot. And uh, I was like, shit, I'll bring you guys, you know, loaf, a couple loaves of bread. You guys, you know, give me two dozen eggs. Hold me over for a little while. But they, they keep their uh, chickens all on like natural diet. They feed them a lot of food scraps. They let them roam around and, you know, pick bugs out of the ground and everything. And their their chickens just – there's a whole like basket full of eggs in the kitchen. There's just a ton. They've got like more eggs than they know what to do with. That's how I was all, all summer long. I was giving everyone I could, you know, eggs because I had uh, eight laying hens, so I was getting eight a day. Anyone who would take the eggs, I was giving them to them, and then they just abruptly stopped. That's crazy. But just ducks or, or both? I just have ducks. Interesting. Ducks are a lot. Ducks are a lot easier to deal with in some aspects. They're way more cold resistant. They're way more uh, weather resistant. They don't need nesting boxes. They just this, every day is an Easter egg hunt because they just drop eggs wherever. Yeah, they just drop <laughs> eggs all they, over the place. They, they do. They drop the eggs and then they roll them around. Like I had gone out, you know, in the morning and I seen an egg on the ground. I come out a couple hours later, it's gone. They've moved it. They roll them around. They're goofy. Um, but they're all your, you know, chicken eggs usually pretty clean because they lay them in a nesting box and 
Hence, the, the ducks are rolling them around. They're rolled through the mud and rolled through their own shit. They're dirty, so you have to wash them all off. I mean, that's kind of a negative. But they do... And the eggs are bigger, actually. So, a little better for baking. So, I prefer them. So, my aunt told me about this. Uh, you know, the one, the one who has chickens. She told me, and I didn't know this, but if you don't wash your eggs... You can keep them on countertop for like 45 days. And that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that. And then you can do, you can, uh, what is it? Put them in a lime water. And I think keep them up to a year in a lime water on the shelf. I think it's lime. But I can't do that because I have to watch the, wash these eggs off because they're covered in shit. Well, could you not just put them in a basket and keep them stored until you're ready to use them? Then you could wash them off and, and use them that way. Yeah, I probably could. You probably could just keep them dirty, you know. Yeah, and then fact, people won't I, want your eggs. I, yeah, well, I couldn't sell them. I I've got a couple <laughs> uh, a couple dozen in the fridge that I didn't wash off. I just threw them in the egg cartons and threw them in the fridge. I was super surprised when I learned that about like the only reason you have to keep store bought eggs in the fridge and then they still go bad in like less than a month is because they wash them off and it washes off the protective layer that like the chickens or the ducks or whatever you know leave on the egg. I've heard you can. You can Vaseline your eggs and, and they'll, they'll last longer. It creates like a, it simulates that mucus that kind of uh, comes on the egg as a protective layer and then they kind of preserves them a little bit. People are going to be like, this is a comms podcast. They've been talking about eggs for 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I literally live off grid, so I'm not really a comms guy either. I'm an off grid liver, so... That's awesome. So I mean, yeah, eggs is part of my life. I mean, the rest and the rest, everything else, cutting firewood, you know, all the generating my own power from solar. But what this is all about, it all circles back to self reliance, self sustainability, self defense, uh, being redundant, and being redundant is uh, includes communications. And radio is a redundant communication. Oh, for sure. Oh, so so this topic. Very much overlaps with interests of the community. I guarantee it. Yeah, I was actually going to write a blog post. I just hadn't got to it about uh, you know all. Uh, you need to start falling back on using the radio for just everyday communications. Trying to get away from the cell phone as much as possible for so your local friends. You know, even if you're using the repeater, I realize it's out in the open; everyone can hear it. But just try to get away from the cell phone and the tracking. You know, and set up set up a system where you and your friends are talking on the radio using you know using the radios to communicate over using the cell phone that's being everything's being copied you know tracked recorded. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I try to use the radio as much as possible, but I've been having problems getting some of my friends to buy radios. Yeah, that's the problem everybody has. You know, if you if you if you looked on my page any, you'll see I'm always testing myself for the most part that's why i use jsa call for a lot of the tests because it at least will reply to me because i ain't got my guys don't want to they don't want to get on it or you know they might be too far away holy crap i just tore open this broken 5100 that i got all of the ribbon cables inside of this radio are torn there's your problem right there they're all they're all they're all tore from their uh connecting uh you know clip things I think I had just seen some listings for ribbon cables on eBay. Might be 
For these radios? Yeah, for 5100s. I saw at least one for the PTT. Maybe it's salvageable. They are modular, so you should be able to find what you... Well, I say you should. You, you might be able to find what you need. I was just looking in here right now. I don't know if that's a job I want to undertake. Yeah, just save it for parts, man. I just pulled this thing apart to see what it was what was up with it on the end. This is the one with the busted side connector and it won't power on. And uh yeah. <laughs> Tony, you ordered a couple of these, yeah? I ordered, yeah, two of the two of the seven eight hundreds, and then I actually ordered one more a tactical yellow VHF. Nice. Someone shared a link in one of the message groups, the the same exact tactical yellow that I ordered from that. Order from that guy. It's awesome, man. Are you going to get them up on uh, P25 or are you just going to stick with analog? I know your your group's probably pretty small and not running P25. Am I correct in saying that? Um, yeah, we're doing the we're doing the DMR, the Anytones. I don't I don't run straight analog. There's <laughs> I mean, you know, just the fact of having any digital gives you a level of security, you know, even if it's open digital. Most people only want to spend five hundred dollars on a scanner, you know, a digital scanner. And I know a lot of people see. I see that Tito does it, but a lot of guys can't get that uh, decoding MRP twenty five on the SDR. That's above their pay grade. Yeah, they they want to download it and plug it in and and turn it on and and go and you know. The crazy thing is with that, and I was just talking with Civil about this earlier, and that tactical comms guy who's been posting a lot of videos of him using DSD plus on SDR Sharp. Yeah. I've been, uh, I, I had, you can go back on my uh, Instagram page. I've had uh, DSD plus running for the better part of a year ever since I first downloaded it last year, made sure it was working. I could I could uh, decode P25, DMR, all the good stuff. And then I was using it to test my encryption implementation across my radios, mainly because my one DMR radio is just a Radioddity GD77. So it's a fairly inexpensive, just dual band DMR uh, radio. And I wanted to test the uh, the encryption implementation across that radio against DSD+. And then I also ended up doing it with my XTS 5000s, testing the packet data and stuff like that. And then I wanted to take a video of it a couple of weeks ago to post for some content for Instagram and DSD plus was being like super laggy and wasn't like capturing the, uh, it was getting the information from SDR sharp, like the virtual cable and everything's working, but then it just like was having trouble demodulating. I'd have to keep my radio keyed for like 15, 20 seconds before it would like capture some information for two or three seconds and it would drop off again. And then it just got to the point where it totally wasn't working. So I spent like five hours yesterday, uninstalled the programs, just started from blank, had the tactical comms guy like helping me out. We ended up sideloading the program and the plugin to SDR Sharp because you can't plug in, the, you can't download the community plugin uh, link anymore with all of them. Got all that figured out and then still doesn't work. Went through all the settings two dozen times, can't figure out what's wrong with it. So it looks like I'm stuck using SDR trunk because at least that works. I was following you on that yesterday. I was wondering what was the problem. I, I was about to shoot my computer, bro. I was pissed off. So, like, one of my friends was... I haven't even tried to decode any DMR P25 on SDR. Uh, one of my buddies said he put the virtual cable in, 
and then he couldn't get sound ever out of it again. He had to reboot the whole hard boot and get rid of the programs, his computer, to even get it to work again. So that's really why I haven't dug into that, any of the programs to decode the digital. No, I haven't had any of those problems. The virtual cable, I just downloaded the free version of VB cable, and it worked. I mean, the only other thing I could think of is I need to uninstall VB cable and maybe install an updated version of it or something and see if that's about the only thing I haven't tried because I've tried everything else. I've tried two different SDRs. I tried different antennas, moving the antennas, but nothing about my setup from a hardware perspective or even the software perspective has changed. It just stopped working. Yeah. That sucks when that happens. Yeah, it's too bad, man. Need to get uh, SD up and running. I got... I've been using SDR Sharp for a while, and I like SDS, SDR++. Uh, yeah, SDR++ is a good one. And I heard somewhere a while ago that there's a there's a digital demodulator for SDR++, but I haven't looked into it yet. I'm pretty much he's using dig- digital scanners. Is yeah. ID coach. Those Unidins and stuff. I have the Unidin, and I have the TRX-1 also. I have both of those. It's definitely more of a buy and be done kind of uh, setup there, isn't it? Yeah. You don't have to mess with it much. I was, you know, that's one thing. My one, ne- a couple negatives on the P25 system is that, like, that Udenin will close call a P25. Um, I knew it would before I even did the video on Instagram. Uh, Just through the nature of the waveform. Yeah, and there's something a guy give me a huge explanation of why it will not close call DMR, but it doesn't do it. It will it will decode it because I have the DMR uh, module put into it, but it will not close call it for some reason. It's probably a timing issue or something. I don't, he said it was something about I don't know. So he gave me a long uh, technical explanation. I'm not very tech savvy. I mean, I can turn this on. I can make most stuff work. But as for programming-wise, I have no idea. But he gave this big, long reason why it will never it will never close call DMR. That's kind of why I still lean towards DMR a little bit. It's just for that fact, you know. It's not easily picking it out. That was actually something I wanted to ask you about. Like, um, there's not a whole lot of pages out there that are very pro-DMR. A lot of pages are leaning towards P25. So... Uh, what what's some of your reasoning for sticking with DMR? Well, that that right there is number one. Um, Udenin will close call it, and so even if you're encrypted, if you get close calls, I know there's some encrypted P25 right near me. All right, and so if I have my Udenin running on an external antenna, I'll say we're picking up out to a mile. We're close calling stuff because I have close called at a mile out analog radio. Um, I close call some encrypted. Bombs on P25, I know someone's around my area. Um, one of the other negatives I have on P25 is every law enforcement government entity uses it. They all use it. So, <laughs> I mean, you're, they do. They all, radios. they all use it. So, they got their radio guy. This by chance, they're like, hey, there's some other dudes using P25. The radio guy can just program right into your frequency. Yes, I know. He can't hear you if you're encrypted. I'm not retarded. I know someone's going to say that, but they can still, they could go right in there. Listen, if you weren't encrypted, they could listen to everything you said. Now, why give it to them? I give it to anybody. Why? There's no reason to give them easier access. So, um, 
Another one I have, and I think Civil kind of sees the same thing, is the capability of the Chinesium EMRs over the P25. There's a little bit more restriction. Um, the Chinesium garbage has a lot more capability. I mean, it's look, it's it's the Anytone's tri-band. Put your own encryption in. Um, analog and and digital. Um, that's a mandatory for me. The reason being is, much as I hate to say it, there's probably going to be guys running. You know, if if the balloon goes up, there's probably going to be some people running FRS, and that might be the only radio they have, or the little bubble wrap F, FRS radios, or a Baofeng. So I would need interoperability. I can li- talking to my guys on digital, and I can also be listening, monitoring the other guys on analog if I need to. Um, yeah, I have the same criteria. Now, um, I, I like to have a dual band radio, VHF and UHF. And I like the dual monitoring feature. And then, you know, there's some problems with it, but software encryption, the CPS is very simple. You hop on there and punch in your encryption keys. I don't know if the Anytones do this. I run the BTEX. It's the same hardware, different firmware. You can password protect your CPS. You do that on the Anytones? Yeah, they're, they're the same. Yeah. In yeah. fact, the, the, the BTEC is actually the 868, from what I understand. And then the Anytones, I'm running the 878. Anytone did the 868 before they moved to the 878. I think yes. BTEC was strictly the 6X2, and then they're on to the 6X2 Pro now. So I think the 682 was the basically the 868. We understand that. And I could be I could be wrong because I don't I don't give a shit. I turn it if I can program it, turn it on, and it works. That's all I really care. Now, yeah. Let's let's just be realistic here. These because I'm holding on to this uh, 5100. Any tone can't compete with durability of these radios. I mean, I'm I'm not a fool. I, these no. radios are heavy duty. Yeah, they're they're tough, and there would be a great field radio. So I'm not bashing them. I just the capability wise is where I, you know, where I get into there. I'm just like, well, it's all trade off. Like I think we've all talked about that. It's a trade off. What what do we want? Pretty much every radio is going to be a compromise until you start looking at an Apex 8000 or the VP 8000s that are become that are going to be coming out soon that are actually multi band, multi mode. Until we can start dropping that kind of money on radios individually, we're we're compromising somewhere or another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 100% agree with that. That's why I, you know, it's, I think it's important if, uh, especially if you can't, um, you know, spent, drop three, four, five thousand dollars on a multi-band, like multi-mode radio, because I know most people out there can't do that. Uh, you know, I, I don't consider myself to be wealthy at all. You know, I work every day of the week. I got to pay bills and I'm still capable of shilling out, you know, 300 plus dollars on a nice radio. And if I can do it, I feel like anybody can. And if you're just trying to cop out for that, it's just like, well, how much does your rifle build cost? Actually, how much does your optic on your rifle cost? Like you're running an EOTech and a magnifier, like, oh, that's $900 on an optic. You could shell out $300 on a radio, bro. Whether it's an any tone, those are like 300 bucks, or you could get yourself into an XTS 5000 or a V or or a 5100 for, you know, $300 or even less if you know what you're doing. All right. And I want to bring that up, actually. This, you can buy a 5100 because I bought the first 5100 for $150. You have no excuse for not having a decent radio. I mean, the the, the first tack yellow one I got, the second one that I've got coming, I, I put an offer in for 175 and he took it. I mean, that's, that's how, so I got two radios for 
almost the price of one any tone. I mean, there's no sense of not having some sort of decent digital comps. Oh, exactly. That's something that Blakewater Actual has said on Instagram. Of his rules that he puts out there in his training, you should be willing to spend as much money on your radio as you do on your optic. So you kind of think about the cheap optics out there, you know, a little $50 sight mark from Bass Pro. Are you going to consider that reliable? What happens when your life, you re- lean your rifle up on a table and it falls over? Thing going to hold zero? No. Now, thinking about it from that perspective, shoot, move, communicate principle. Communication is one of those key elements. So you should be willing to invest in the infrastructure for that. Um, like you said, you know, for sure, you got two quality radios for as much as uh, one any tone. Yeah. And I mean, I think that just, you know, harkens back to, I think I mentioned it in our very first podcast, talking about the bail things and everything. And, you know, like you just said, that that trilogy of shoot, move, communicate and people seem to take that as like a list of importance, like shooting, moving and communicating as like descending through like levels of importance and not really understanding that all three of those things are supposed to operate together in one cohesive unit. And they are all part of the same skill set. And, uh, you know, in the first podcast, I mentioned how like as you as you go down that list, everybody wants to go to the range and go shooting. That's something like everybody wants to do. Well, less people want to go to the range and put on their full kit in a pack and do a mile around the range and then shoot a stage and then do another mile around the range and shoot the, and shoot a stage. And then even less people want to do that while also maybe breaking up into groups and effectively communicating over radios while doing all three of those things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think of them as uh, shoot, move, communicate are, are the pillars for small unit tactics. If you remove one of those pillars, whole system kind of breaks down. You know, one of the one of the adages that some of the guys who trained me tactically, you, you know, y'all have heard uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. No, I've never heard that. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And in other words, don't rush. But another another adage is uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So. Apply that yeah. to the small unit tactics aspect of things. Shoot, move, communicate. Those are the pillars for small unit tactics. You, you got to maintain all three of those pillars to be effective small unit. Totally agree. So I got to bring something up about small unit tactics, if I can. And this Absolutely. has to do with calm stuff. And I think I think there's a misconception a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's from the GWAT or if it's from All of Duty. It could be a mixture of both. So... <laughs> I, I, and, and if you guys, you know, you, there's probably going to be some hate over this and some people don't believe this, but when we have a small unit, so I'm going to say we have nine guys right? and you can break them up however you want, but we got a patrol leader, right? Then we have two fire teams. Each fire team has a uh, team leader, right? Those are the only guys that get comms. Patrol leader gets a comm. If he has an RTO guy, maybe the RTO has a comms. The two team leaders have comms, Right. I think in the comms world and tactical world, everyone thinks they all need to have radios. And that's actually the worst case scenario because you got a chance of any of the guys on the fire team, you know, doing an ND of their radio. It's just the patrol leader. Maybe the two team leaders have comms. No one else does. I don't know why people get so mad about this. And then, you you know, you got inter-team comms and then, you know, trying to talk back to your your TOC, your headquarters or whatever. Um, People get mad about it. I did a private security gig. 
and the team leader had a radio and I was assistant team leader. I had a radio and one of the guys was like, well, we all need comms to hear what's going on. I'm like, you're with me. We're together. You don't need comms. That's something there. You know, I think in the small unit tactics, like it's one thing to go against cavemen. Everyone can have comms against goat farmers because they don't have the technology. But what possibly is coming are guys, you know, we're the goat farmers going against guys with better technology and we need to act accordingly. And we need less likely chance of trans accidentally having any transmissions and having, I guess, not having accidents with other guys. The other guys don't need the team leader tells the rest of the crew, rest of his guys on his team, what they're going to do. They don't need to be listening. They don't need to worry about that. It also saves money on your group's comms. When you only need three or four digital radios, you know, or you know, three. Now, I don't know why everyone gets mad about it. They get upset about that. But you were like, well, we only need three radios. We only need two radios. You know what I'm saying? So it cuts down the amount of money they have to spend that they're already upset because it's a radio. Because you don't need a radio for every single person on the team. Right, right. You know, we ran into some issues with that mock patrols. Everybody had a radio. And nobody was trained on them either. Maybe one or two people were kind of independently experts, but there was no formal training as a group on comms. One of the things that was a constant problem is is we'd be humping down the road and, you know, we'd, we'd break up into fire teams and have one fire team go one flank and another fire team go the other flank. And, you know, we'd be humping along and then you get a hot mic that lasts like 45 seconds. Here's it. You're, you're throwing RF out there. It, it impedes comms at that point. You know, if there's a hot mic and you actually do need to communicate, well, the, the airwaves are locked up. It is something that's like, not everybody does need comms. You're, you're right in that. But situation is going to dictate how you're going to use them. You know? So the chain of command should go. Of you as a fire team, you should follow your fire team leader, no matter what he says. And you're going to be using hand signs and uh, visual signals and things like that. But, you know, your point fire team leaders and a command element. Th- those are really the, the people who are going to need comms because you're going to need to coordinate maybe an overwatch element, maybe a recon element, maybe a QRF element. I mean, you're going to need, you know, you need call You're like I said, that's why the two team leaders need comms because like where I'm at right now, let's say I was going to go legit operational. It's going to be at night. I cannot operate in the day here because it's completely wide open for 2,000, you know, 2,000 yards. I mean, it's open everywhere I go. So every operation I do is night. I need comms between the two teams just in case, you know, in case we get split up. Well, the team leaders need the comms, and then we need comms back to the talk. The rest of the guys don't need comms. Yeah. The, the only time I can see everybody on a team needing comms is if you're doing some kind of, like, security on a on a perimeter or something like that, where you're going to have, like, guys at the front of the building and two guys at the back of the building and each two-man team is going to be spread out 50 yards or something looking in opposite directions into the dark or something like that so you're, you're talking about being stationary in a defensive position you're not talking about being on the move but that's where you know situation is going to dictate what do you actually need and how are you going to actually use it but for the most part you're right i mean only your team leaders in a small unit tactics situation are going to need comms Everybody shouldn't have con. There's just too much recipe for disaster when that happens. Yeah, so I, I'm going to take the not exactly a, a disagreeing because I do agree with uh, most of, of what has been said in the last couple of minutes. But I'm going to say that everybody, especially able bodied, you know, men on the team or something should probably have a way of communicating over radio. 
Now, should all of those radios be on at the same time? No, probably not. And, it, you know, you could establish this through your SOPs to your group and everything. I would say that everybody should have a radio, but not everybody's radio needs to be on at every time. I think like, um, like Tony was saying, the the team leaders and the talk and stuff like that. Yeah, those guys and, and the RTOs probably all have radios, probably all have them on. They're all trained in you know, emissions control. Well, everybody should have at least some training in emissions control. Um, but yes, I do agree in the, in the sense that not everybody's radios need to be on all the time because, you know, Bobby in, in squad B just, you know, his rifle sling is keying his radio for endless amounts of time. And that's just a huge disaster right there because he doesn't know what he's doing. The radio is not positioned right. But in the event of some kind of emergency, team leader goes down and you might not be able to get to his body and get his radio. And now you don't have a radio on you or something. Now you're shit out of luck. No one's got, no one else has a radio. The radio's on him. Uh, so I would say everybody needs to know, needs to have a radio and probably needs to at least know how to use them and know the basics of emissions control. But yes, I do agree that they probably shouldn't be on all the time. I could agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and if I can uh, kind of follow up with what um, with what Tito was talking about, there's that I think there's essentially going to be points where you know we're not necessarily always going to be with the people that we're working with. Like we could all be at distances. Like we could just be at our houses when we are still needing to coordinate across whatever distance. There's still going to be some points where I think everyone will need them, but yeah, not everyone's going to need to have them on at the same time. There's just going to be yeah. You know, there's there's times to use them and times to not. I love, so let me put this in context, what I'm talking about, just so we know. I'm not talking about collapse or anything. I'm talking about actual mission operations. So I'm going to go out on yeah, an operation. Yeah, I, gather, yeah. is what I, I, I 100% agree everyone have comms for, you know, wherever you're at. Like, I, I actually wish I had every neighbor around me had a radio <laughs> so i had to have it instant because <laughs> we're like we're a small off-grid community so i mean i'm not against that even even analog i don't care just so i could immediately get a hold of them so and yeah. that kind of stuff i'm not saying i'm talking about legit we're doing guerrilla operations we're trying to stay under the radar as much as possible against a technologically superior adversary right and i i think that might be where some people are having that disconnect like they might be they might be taking what you're saying where you're saying not everyone in small unit tactics needs to have a radio when they're thinking they're kind of thinking like an all encompassing bigger picture, like all situations, not everyone has to have a radio. I, I kind of think that's where that disconnect might be. There's a good chance of that. So um, you guys are a little more, I know uh, Tito and civil are a little more tech savvy than me. This comes to mesh tastic and Gotenna. The way I see it, those things communicate to each other, no matter what you do. Is that correct? They're talking back and forth? As long as you're sending traffic, yes. Um, or if you're sending messages, yeah. And then every, uh, you can program the the interval for the GPS location. Um, you can set the interval. I forget what the window is, but you could set it to, you could set your GPS location update on like, I'm speaking for Meshtastic. I have no experience with the Gotenna. I have a couple of Meshtastic nodes that I've messed with, and I need to probably mess with them a little bit more now that the newer updates have dropped and it looks like they've fixed a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, 
the yeah, you can change the update of the interval for the the GPS location of the node and things like that. But no, they're not communicating amongst each other unless traffic is being sent from at least one of the nodes, and then all those nodes work together to get the traffic to where it needs to be, whether it's a one person talking to one person or one person talking to the whole group. I actually haven't looked into that in depth, but as far as I'm aware, they don't ping regularly. Right. So no, no, they don't. I wasn't sure. About, I have the mesh tastic. I actually got got between three of them. I got eleven miles out of it. Eleven, twelve miles. Actually, I was highly impressed. I did have wow. one at a high point. I thought I wasn't for sure if they ping back and forth. That's that's another thing. The small unit tactic stuff. Um, you don't want anything that you can't control. Whether or not you know you transmit. I do believe that the GPS location is pinged to the other nodes at a sent interval, and you might be able to even turn that off to where the GPS location will only send when you're sending other traffic. Like when you're sending a message, it'll also include the GPS information inside of that message, but I'm not totally sure. All right, I have one more question for Tito here. How good luck did you have it in Florida? My buddy would try it, and he had horrible luck. I don't know if the trees were killing the signal or what it was. So the T beams are extremely like low power. Um, you know they work in the 900 megahertz, you know, license free spectrum. I even uh, did the ham modification on them to where they will transmit at a, a higher power if you associate a like ham call sign with uh, with the boards. Um, and then they also use diff- a slightly different frequency, I believe, if you do that. It's like, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but I remember in the in the software when you're setting them up, at least if you're doing it through a computer, you can enable the ham mode, which will up the power and I think change the frequency. But even still with that, I didn't have a ton of nodes and I didn't have a very high spot, but I did get about a mile and a half, maybe 1.7 miles uh, out of a uh, communication where um, I set a node on top of a car in my driveway. And then I drove around my neighborhood that I was living in at the time and just sent, you know, testing location one and then moved, testing location two, moved. And then uh, I got back and checked that node. And you actually get a feedback. So when the message is sent successfully, the receiving node does send a, I got this message back to you. And it'll let you know that that message was actually like, you know, received by the, by the, you know, receiving uh, T-beam or whatever, you know, mesh-tastic node that you're using. I did get like a little, almost two miles out of it, but I did have to get three stories up on a, uh, on a apartment building to do that. So huge difference in, ter- I know you guys have talked about this in the previous podcast of testing your terrain and area, you know, um, <laughs> huge difference. Yeah. Amazing. And I, I put a, I put one up. So I'm sitting right now at 7,000 feet. I put my relay. It had to been at 75, 800, or 8,000 feet. And then I went out 11 miles from there and I was, I was able to relay back. That's really good. From from what I understand with the way that signal propagates, it's extremely line of sight dependent, depending on the materials and how much material is between you, just like any other RF. Oh, yeah. It's going to be highly dependent on line of sight. Uh, you know, if you're not using HF, line of sight is the, your, your deciding factor right there. Oh, definitely. Um, 
But yeah, I, I wasn't super disappointed with very obstructed line of sight with tons of houses and stuff in the way. Like, I mean, like a fairly suburban neighborhood, one story, two story, even maybe a couple three story houses with trees in between. I was able to cover a half mile, no problem. So you could easily cover an entire pretty densely packed neighborhood with houses and vegetation with just nodes on top of like car roofs acting as a ground plane to increase your uh, receive and, and transmit uh, capabilities. Awesome. It's interesting. You know, I did the same test you did Tito. I uh, got my old little Android phone and then I got my personal phone and, and I connected them both. I got two little T beams and I stuck one in my garage and turned it on and just left it on the workbench. I didn't even like elevate it or anything, but Went and drove around the neighborhood and tested it. And I did notice that one direction in the neighborhood, I was able to get a pretty good distance out a couple blocks over and maintain activity and get some messages across. But same distance in the other direction, for whatever reason, there was something there that was impeding the signal and, and preventing my messages from making it from A to B. And I never figured out what yeah. that was. Maybe it was like radiant barrier built into some of the houses or or something like that. but. You know, it was in a neighborhood. It wasn't in. I mean, it could be anything. Those those T beams are extremely low power. I mean, it's like 0. 0.2 watts or something like that. Nice if you could bump them up to like a full watt or two watts or. I f I forget what the ham mod does if you associate it with a ham call sign uh, and it ups the power, but I don't know what it ups it to. It might be half a watt or so. Um, I didn't notice any drastic range increase in uh, in in doing the ham like mod or whatever it's called for the for the T beams. Um, my idea for my operating area it was basically to the neighborhood I was in at the time, which I'm in a different neighborhood now, but it would still apply because there's one close to me. Would be to use a drone, most likely of some kind, to in an emergency situation, if you were trying to use MeshTastic, is to use a drone to deploy a weatherproofed node to the top of a water tower in my area, or maybe two. And if you could do that, I have no doubt that you could cover miles. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah, that'd make a significant increase. Significant. I mean, uh, I mean, even if you could, like, for the neighborhood situation I was in when I was testing them at the time. Even if you could get a node or two on top of like a two or three story house in the neighborhood, you would probably boost your your range by two or three, maybe four times. I should try testing something like that out. I don't have a drone, but even going and just, you know. I don't either. Well, you know what <laughs> I did yet. with uh, my fox hunt yesterday is I got a little, you know, knockoff Pelican case from um, uh, Harbor Freight. It was like 12 bucks. And I just drilled a hole in it for an antenna mount and used a little sma jumper so i can close all that stuff up in the box and have an antenna sticking out of the box well what i do when i go test this stuff out is i go find a parking garage it's like six or eight stories tall out here i'll drive up to the top floor and i'll stash it somewhere high up it's not blocked by concrete or anything like that be my elevation and then i go drive around the city and and go to various points and test it out I'd love to go do something like that with MeshTastic and see what kind of range and propagation issues and activity and packet exchange I can get out of it. That would be super cool. I need to get a like 150 megahertz Yagi. 
Has anyone tried making a um, a quarter wave ground plane antenna for those T beams, kind of like the jungle antenna? I tried to make one, no. and I actually got worse results off of it than the standard rubber ducky. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of crazy. I bet it just doesn't have enough power. I'm not kidding. So when I was at the le- uh, the 11 mile mark, when I was testing, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this ground plane. I'm going to put it outside the truck. I'm going to for sure get this, you know, make this connection here. I tried it. It didn't work. And then I put the rubber ducky back on, and I got I made the 11 mile contact. It's crazy. Wow. I don't know. Just the stock antenna that comes with the TV? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I'm like, it didn't work. From from some of the analysis I've seen of some of those antennas that come on the T-beams, they're just super cheap Chinese antennas, really similar to the uh, to like the Baofeng antennas that come on them. And sometimes you might get an antenna that is just like awesome, like a 1.1 like SWR on 900 megahertz. Other times, like the same antenna, same manufacturer, but you might get like a 2.4 SWR at 900 megahertz. Makes sense. Believe it. I know. I I, I know mine didn't work, so I made the 11 mile contact with the stock antenna. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's pretty impressive, especially if you made a if you took good measurements and cut a ground plane. I just wonder if it just straight up didn't have the power to like push through a ground plane antenna. It might not have. I don't really know. Do you, uh, Tony, do you do many uh, homemade antenna tests? It's kind of funny because I've seen tech preppers doing some six-meter jungle antenna testing. Well, I was actually doing that this fall. Um, I got some videos up about... Nice. I got a... I made a... I use JSA Call because JSA Call gives me instant feedback. Since I don't have someone else, you know, trying to get someone to be like, hey, you want to be 40 miles away from me and on the radio and see and it's so jsa call will actually auto reply so i use that so i did 30 miles away from the home station direct contact six meters upper side band with uh, i think i was using the house i was just using a, a tri-band six meter antenna and out in the field i was using a six meter jungle antenna nice and did you have a pretty good line of sight to make that or was there elevation changes well, I'm I'm actually in a draw, I guess I would call it a draw. You want? I actually shared the video today on my story. So, and I point to the mountain. I'm on the other side of the mountain that I point to. I'm down in the bottom. The mountain I'm looking at, the top of the mountain's nine thousand feet. I'm at seven thousand. That's where my house is. Early line of sight because I can't see anything. I also did another twenty mile test, which I had absolutely zero problems on six meters. Same setup. Uh, ground plane or a uh, jungle antenna um all my antennas are homemade antennas like my invis antennas are all homemade they're they're cut for uh the jsa call frequency on 40 and 80 yeah i was gonna ask you about that so you got a 6100 radio right that's correct like it the zygu 6100 yes. i i also have some questions about this go ahead civil no, I was just going to ask. Do you do you like that radio? You have you found any problems with it? Um, what kind of limitations have you found with it? Is it worth the money? How's the battery on it? You know, give us a rundown. What do you think? Um, I like the radio. There are some severe bugs in it while running digital, um, and they can't even explain to me why it's doing it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Because they're yeah, Chinese. It's, it's, you know what? We're going to keep this is a issue. Chinesium shit. I like suffrage. 
So I just keep messing with Chinesium shit. Um, <laughs> I, fact, I, ha- I have a Q900 coming, a Q900 Chinesium shit. If it ever shows up, I don't know. They might have got they might have got my money. Um, 6100 is actually I I like it. It's got low battery draw. It uh, works, you know, voice. It works fine. I don't have a problem with voice. The digital stuff. There's something wrong with it. I can't even explain it. So what I have to do is turn the radio off, turn the radio back on. It goes back to working. It does have an internal sound card. It has an internal tuner. So you don't have to have any of that stuff. It has internal batteries, which will run 5 watts. If you put an external 12-volt battery, it'll run 10. Um, there's some new stuff right okay. now. You guys might see some new... Uh, I don't know what you'd call it because it's not even firmware. It's it's some sort of program running over top of the firmware. There's a guy doing it, so it changes the display and everything. I, that does not work. You put it on an SD card, plug it in, turn it on. It comes on. It works for 30 seconds and freezes up. You take the SD card out, it works. It goes back to normal. Um, that has been my build testing radio. I've had it. I, bought, I got it last year, so 2022 in December. I got the second batch of them that came out. Okay. If you go back through all my videos, pretty much everything I'm actually using that out in the field. I wouldn't it's recommend. Part of the, I wouldn't, I've seen that. Are you? I'll say I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. If you're like, should I buy this radio? I'd like buy the ICOM 705. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's be real. I'm gonna tell you to buy the ICOM 705. I've had so many troubles and wanted to smash this radio into pieces. I would never recommend anyone <laughs> buy this radio. But it it, it does it has worked for me. I've done a lot of testing with it. I've had I mean I've had a lot of successes, but a lot of go to film a video for Instagram and then it don't work and I'm just wanting to break it in half. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> what about Invis Voice? Uh, what what kind of what kind of antenna are you using on for voice on the sixty one hundred? How are you deploying it? What kind of range are you getting out of it? And how many watts are you using? Right, so. Let's all understand. I think I put a post on this on Instagram too. Invis, thing for Invis is just the elevation of the dipole antenna to the ground. Okay? So you do not need to spend $440 on an Invis antenna. You're getting ripped off. Right? So standard dipole that you cut for whatever frequency you want to use. Okay, so Invis goes from 40 down, 40, 60, 80, and then 100. What is 160? Nobody in their right mind has an antenna for 160 meters. So mainly, I mean, <laughs> then you don't have the no one has the room for 160 meters antenna. Very very few people do. So most of the time, people stick between 80, 60, and 40 meters. 40 meters is better during the day for Invis. It doesn't seem to work that well at night. And uh, the reason I, I I know this is because someone on Instagram tried to tell me, well, that's ground plane propagation. And it was like 20 miles away. I had two. One that was an 8,000-foot mountain in between me and then a 9,000-foot mountain in between me. And so I'm like, all right, this dude's trying to tell me it's ground plane. I set up the exact same setup at night. And uh, exactly. I did. I laid the antenna in the same spot that I had made contact earlier. Tried to send out the contact on 40 meters. I couldn't get nothing. But then I got a halfway across the country, which is because 40 meters goes long at night. Right? It wasn't ground plane. It was Envis. Anyway, a standard dipole. Just some wire. I use 24-gauge wire and a BNC dual-post adapter. That is cheap as you can go, right? Bring that antenna down. Uh, Radio Theory says a quarter wavelength to an eighth wavelength. Well, I've had that antenna all the way down to... At one point, one of the videos I have on Instagram, the antenna's laying on some sagebrush, which is a foot off the ground. 
and I made direct contact with the home station. I actually turned the power all the way down to as low as it could go and still made contact. I was 20 miles away. I remember that post from you. That was like a while ago. And yeah, I I was pretty surprised. And that's what made me want to get into like HF and and Envis and stuff was watching your uh, posts. And I still need to do it. (laughs) I haven't done it yet. I got my general license uh, in preparation for doing some HF stuff. And I haven't messed with it yet. You guys, once we get past line of sight, you've got to go to HF. And HF is fun. And it's never the same. So you're like, that worked yesterday. Why didn't that work today? You've, you, you know, once you get past long line of sight, and I know you guys are zillions up in Idaho, but you two are on flatlands. So your line of sight drops. <laughs> Ain't the same as ours. Um, you got to go HF and you got to go Invis. You know, that's once, you, you know, yeah. and you might be running operations 25, 30 miles from the house. And you're like, we need calms back this, you know, back to this area. And it's going to be HF Invis is what does that. I was going to say, well, down here in Florida with how thick a lot of the vegetation is, I mean, even VHF, UHF, I mean, depending on where you're at and and things like that, you can have trouble completing uh, a mile uh, on high power with a handheld. And that's why I've been really, that's why I started looking into like the whole like Invis HF kind of stuff is being able to complete communications from you know, 10 to 20, 30, 40, 50 miles out with no problem. And I just haven't done it yet because I can't get anybody else that I know, at least I've made some friends recently who I think are going to get into it and um, which will be super cool. But uh, I just haven't had anybody who's willing to get into HF or radios in general in that in that scale to be able to actually, you know, communicate with me over some kind of something like that, being able to cut their own antennas, deploy a man portable HF unit and complete a comm shot. I know the feeling and uh, that's why we have to buy two HF rigs and two computers. <laughs> and then and put, put it. No, no, I know. I'm telling you. And put the antenna up at the house and let J. This is where JSA Call comes in. Where it is an amazing digital program. So we put that up at the house. We've got it running. We've got it where it'll auto reply to us. And then we go out into the field and we set up our field setup and we send messages back and see if JSA Call at the house is going to reply. That's really cool. So that's one of the benefits of uh, being in the ham community. Is it's nice to be able to have somebody that you can uh, go out there and make contacts with. It's in, in, in that there always seems to be people willing to get on the radio in the ham community. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's good practice. That would be my thing. Making contact with the ham community is good practice. You know, especially if you're just getting into radio, uh, learning the difference between simplex and duplex, and then learning to program in a repeater into your radio. And trick here. A um, little acronym for programming a repeater, you got FOT, frequency, offset, and tone. Those are the three things you need to learn how to program to make contact with a repeater. But once you get that in, you know, you can call out and repeaters are not as active as they used to be. The right time of day or the right repeater in the right area, you know, you're going to get somebody back. And you'll have someone to have a conversation with. It's usually going to be short and boring, but it's a good way to practice some of that stuff. And at a bare minimum, if you don't make contact with somebody else on the other end, you'll at least get that Roger beat back or the identity CW tone from the repeater. So um, it kind of, yeah. the repeater kind of acts as its own propagation beacon at that point. I got a funny story about ham radio club buds. 
you guys want to hear it. Yeah, yeah let's go. All right, so, I mean, this right here will tell you. We're like, uh, so I got, I got, told, I asked, invited to come do the local ham club here in Wyoming and show these guys how to do digital radio. Well, I show up there. I'm not bashing, but it is funny. Everyone there's 85 or above. Um, plug in the radio <laughs> and the sound card and the computer, and I show them, you know, how to do, run some digital comms. And they looked at me like I was from outer space. <laughs> it was like, I mean, and, and so I sat through the rest of the meeting, and they were talking about this is no kidding. One of the guys was like, well, we're going to send out emails for this year's Ham Fest, and the lady was like, well, I want to send out mail out letters, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> these people. <laughs> I was like, no wonder no one wants to be in a ham club. That's what I had to say. I was like, no one knows what to be and do this because you guys are, you know, you literally want to send out smoke signals to send messages or something. I'm like, you wouldn't want to send an email out. They didn't like the idea of that. So um, it was pretty funny. It looked at me funny. I did go to a ham radio club in Wisconsin. And those dudes were drinking beer at an awesome station set up in a van or not a van but a bus and we're rebuilding all sorts of cool ass old radios and drinking more beer and i was like all right this is more like it so i guess they're not all fuds but the one here is oh uh, yeah you're gonna get a, a a mixed bag depending on where you are but i know exactly what you're talking about i'm fortunate enough have you seen those the ham radio 2.0 guy on youtube oh yeah, yeah. and they're super active and actually pretty cool they do uh meet every saturday morning on upstairs of a firehouse they got a lot of guys in there that are kind of they lean towards uh tactical comms but you can kind of tell that they don't like when they talk about it they kind of kind of hush hush and then let's move this conversation over to the side because it is a ham radio club and we all know how the hams are about following the rules and stuff but yeah, but they're a great group of guys man they get together they drink beers they have public meetups they have a bunch of people that turn out they're like super involved in getting people uh getting people to pass their tests and they put a bunch of stuff out on youtube i'll tell you what if you're a ham radio club and you're drinking beer you're all right i mean there's that's my that's my determining factor (laughs) (laughs) oh man i have the same experience with some of the the clubs in my area except for i i should have gone there's a there's a guy who's involved with the ham radio clubs in my area who is also the guy who programs and does all the installs for like all of the, like for like three or four or five counties around me, does all of the public safety radio stuff, all the installs, all the programming P 25 DMR. He does all of it. He did a, uh, he he did a seminar for the, one of the local ham radio clubs on P 25 and the importance of digital modes in emergency communications and I missed out on the meeting. Uh, like uh, Tony said, most of the dudes are like 85 years old. <laughs> it's just like um, some of them are a little younger. You know, they're not too bad. Being in Florida, a, a huge thing here in Florida is emergency communications and preparations for hurricanes, mostly. Um, you know, bad hurricane hits the area and you can be without electricity, you know, phone, water, electricity for weeks, you know, weeks at a time. So they all the ham radio clubs around here have deployable emergency repeaters where they have this like because I've been to a couple of club meetings back when I was studying for my test and getting my licenses and all that's all that kind of stuff. And I've talked with a lot of the guys and it's not as fuddy as everything. But when you start bringing like digital 
or encryption and stuff into it, they're just like, oh gosh, oh my God, what's going on here? <laughs> you know what? We should throw this out there. Technically, according to the FCC, using encryption and, and hand bands is illegal. And for that matter, using encryption in anything that's not part 90 is illegal. However, if you really want to dig into the FCC rules, there's a bunch of stuff where encryption is allowed. Or it shouldn't be allowed. Um, and that's kind of where the hams eye on the hill of encryption's bad. You should never use it. How dare you? Um, yeah, at the same time, yeah. they'll use uh, some Wi-Fi packet data that has encryption on it. Like, it's the same thing. It's no different. Furthermore, to uh, kind of piggyback off of uh, term- terminal armament stance, this it's a First Amendment issue. Now, what business is, is it of yours if yeah. I want to privatize my encryption? You know, our, our, our cell phone traffic is encrypted. Privatize your communications. Yeah, yeah privatize our communications. Our, our cell phone traffic is encrypted. Our emails are encrypted. Yeah. Logging into our bank accounts encrypted. Why Why is it such a big deal to have private communication over voice radio? Because all of those communications that you just listed that are encrypted, the state still has access to. That's fair point. And it's, pl- it's plain and simple. That's it. That's it right there. They they can subpoena whoever the hell they want to get though that information from your your traffic that is happening over your cell phone, your bank, your all your Wi-Fi, all that stuff. They can subpoena and get whatever they want from that. It doesn't matter what encryption is being used. And you can obviously take steps to protect yourself against the state being able to collect that information in those manners. But their huge problem is yeah, they can definitely collect metadata. Yeah, but their main problem is is you being able to communicate with people in your area using uh, a communication standard that they, one, might not be able to intercept for analysis, and two, they don't possess the rights to uh, gather that information or they don't possess the ability to easily gather that information, and that's their problem with it. Yeah, and I think that's a big notable difference uh, in comparison between the MCOM and TACCOM community and the HAM community is, you know, you and I and yeah. everybody that we're speaking to right now is going to be kind of at the same mind of I don't morally see an issue with me using encrypted voice radio. I don't know why this is a problem. I'm not harming anybody. I'm not conspiring to commit a crime. This is just something that I'm doing. And uh, therefore, you know, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it wisely. I'm going to do it smart and I'm not going to interrupt anything uh, versus it's the same know, as there's 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 nothing morally wrong with you. You shooting a rifle with a 13 inch barrel. You're not robbing people. Literally have a piece of steel that's a few inches too short. What they think you should have? <laughs> yeah, good point. That's a very good point. You're exactly right. There's nothing morally wrong with me wanting to talk to my friends with encrypted calls where everyone can't hear it. There's nothing. They just can't control it. And also, who gets to dis- why did they get to decide they control all the airwaves? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. No, that's my whole thing. Is I. Uh, and and I've said it on my Instagram a few times, you know, the FCC is the First Amendment equivalent as the ATF is to the second. They're the, they're the same thing. They're there to regulate your rights. Yeah, I, I agree, too. And let, let me tell you, I, when I teach in class, I'll ha- I've had multiple times where guys are like, is this legal? I said, if you've got to ask me if it's legal, it's probably not legal. <laughs> it's like, so don't. I love it. So don't ask, don't ask, just go with it. I'm, I try to stay, I try to stay as legal as possible, but some stuff just might not be legal. I mean, it might be questionably legal. 
The funny thing about the legality is once you start breaking down the FCC rules, they start to contradict themselves. Well, I mean, I think that's like that with any federal agency. You could easily build a case uh, to support what you're doing in, in a court of law and win the case. Do you have the money to get it there, though? Right. That's They're going to drag it out and bankrupt you in court unless you have the money to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or unless a good lawyer is going to take it pro bono. I'm going to tell you guys right now, I live here in Wyoming where there's least amount of people in the whole United States. And I've had guys here think that there's ham radio dudes listening to every frequency just ready to ready to DF you. And I had to tell them I said this is yeah, I was like, there's nobody here. If you take an an analog radio and you get on the most most populated frequency there is, but you're in the middle of the mountains, there's nobody listening. You're, you're, yeah, you're, 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 you're in the, you're at, you know, you're up at ten thousand feet. You're in the Wind Rivers, which is one of the mountain ranges up here. There's nobody listening to you. There's no one going to DF you. There's no ham radio guys. There, you could be on a police frequency. There's no one there. You know, and it's hard to get, the, it's hard no. to get that through some I, guys' heads. I'm like, there's, there's nobody there. There's no one to DF you. They don't care. We could be on the ham bands and talk out here. You know, on on two meters. There's no one there. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a very similar experience. I'm in a fairly populated area in Florida and I could, you know, hook up my magnetic mountain antenna to my radio in my truck. And I can, I could call out on the two meter calling frequency 50 times, <laughs> you know, driving around my local area and no one will respond that I won't get a yeah. single, you know, quote contact. N- nobody there's, there's no activity happening in, at least in my area, there's almost no simplex activity happening. All the traffic is on the few of the local, you know, repeaters in the area. And that's that's about it. Yeah. So it's silly. These guys are all worried about if I keep this radio, someone's going to get me. No, they're not. They're not going to get you. They're not, they're, <laughs> no one's probably listening. They're on their phone. They're messing around with it. That's what most people do. Um they're not. They're not going to get you. It's not that easy, and it's not that common. People don't. There's not that many people on the radio. I hate to say it. There really isn't. Yeah. Um, you can. You, you know. No, it, there really it's, isn't. It's another point. Well, I'm, I know you've gone out and done some direction finding exercises. I'd love to hear your input on on how you're teaching that and what your experience is with that. But manual direction finding is not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. No. no, it's not. It's not easy. I mean, uh, even high tech. Even high-tech nation-state DF isn't what people think it is. You know what I think? If you had, a, if you have a, a plane or something flying above you, some sort of SIGINT plane, or they can, have, you're probably they're probably going to get you pretty good. But ground DFing, they have to know where you're at. They have to set up the sensors to know you're there. That's the other thing. If no one knows you're there and they don't put sensors up, there's no DFing. There's no. You have to have a reason for them to set up anything around you. Um, yeah, you know, you have to be. Have to be ca- yeah, you have to be causing a problem. You have to be <laughs> blowing up. And you can spend five minutes on Google and figure out if you're going to be causing a problem yeah. or not. So, I mean, there's not now. Now, now, if you have a plane, I'm telling you guys, if you have a plane, some SIGINT plane flying around you, I w- I wouldn't key up on any radio. Right, but you're talking about nation state assets at that point. And we're now, we are talking about nation state. If you got a SIGINT nation state plane flying above you, probably probably better to use some, uh, you know, uh, field phones or runners or something. We we don't need to be keying up on a radio, no matter what it is. I don't care how cool you think you are. 
Well, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, S2 Underground, and if you guys don't follow his channel on YouTube or on Instagram or anything, you probably should. Speaking to the audience mostly, I think most of us probably do. Uh, he has a really good video that was, I think it's a couple months ago now, but he's got a really good video on kind of how nation state DF kind of works, especially from uh, aerial perspective with planes and drones. And it's still not what you think that the, the, the directional antennas on those planes, you know, instead of, uh, like manual DFing from a ground level on a 2d plane, you are kind of getting like a, a bearing, you know, that on a compass that you transfer to a map, you draw lines, and then you have to do that a few times. Yeah. While it is more efficient in a plane, it's drawing that that directional antenna is no longer drawing like a line in a 2D plane across a map. It's now drawing like a big oval across the landscape that it's pointed at. And while it is more efficient and can happen faster, one reading isn't still isn't going to give them a super accurate location of where you're at unless that plane is like unless that plane's like super close or directly overhead or something it's going to be a giant oval cast over the landscape that plane has to circle around and then has to catch your transmission again and then they take that oval and overlay it the first oval and then they do that again and again and then they get closer until they pretty much can it's still not pinpoint accuracy. It's extremely hard. People seem to think that even nation state levels, like if you key up a radio, they're going to pinpoint accuracy, have your location in like five minutes. And it's nowhere near. That, that is why you keep your transmissions as short as possible. When I say nation states yeah. after you, I'm saying they they get your they get the signal and they get your communication. Maybe not necessarily DF you instantly. So, yeah. um, but I, I do remember that video. See, so here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Analog, Baofeng will get you killed. It really won't if you do exactly like you said. Even analog radios, if you minimize your transmission time, directional antennas, train masking, um, and you're not blathering on the goddamn radio, you know, you can you can still get you can still get by. What I'm saying is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm 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 pro fucking digital, but you can still get by with analog radios. Just stay off the goddamn radio. I mean, you send messages when you need to yeah. send messages, and then don't don't blather back for no reason. You know, calm windows. Exactly, you're exactly right. You know, that's that is the key to all of it. It's it don't matter what you're running. You know, digital, analog, it don't matter. That's the key. Stay off the radio, calm windows, directional antennas, minimal power between the teams. No matter what you're using, that's the key. You're trying to lower your RF signature. So, We're going to talk about that in a podcast coming up here pretty soon. We're going to hammer down real hard on, on layers of what makes ComSec effective. And, you know, there's, there's different layers to it. Just to kind of brush on it real quick. So, you know, analog is open and clear for anybody to hear. If you go digital, you need to have that type of digital to be able to intercept and hear that traffic. And then if you go encrypted, you need to have not only that type of digital, but that encryption key to hear what's happening. If you don't have that encryption key, um, there's tools out there that can attempt to crack encryption, but it's going to take assets a long time and a lot of power to do it. And then from there, even further, you know, if you're not transmitting, you're not sending a signal out to where they can find you. So if you are going to transmit, never transmit from the same place twice. 
they can't DF you to, to yeah. one location if you're going to transmit on the move. Um, and beyond that, packet data. Your transmission is going to be very short and very fast. And so they're not going to have the time uh, to track your signal. So, you know, we'll, we'll break down those layers of security yeah. on, on another podcast with uh, another guest here pretty soon. Uh, be on the lookout for that one. No, it's it's not as yeah. simple as it I mean, sounds. You know, everybody seems to think that the hams are just out there with the Aggie antennas ready to DF anybody at the drop of a hat. It's just not like that. <laughs> no. Those dudes are 85. <laughs> they're, they're really not. There's nobody out there listening. So if you're not on the... You know, okay, so here's... How about this? Um, there was a net on 80 meters, and this dude was legit jamming it. He was putting his own call sign out jamming it constantly, interfering with this net. FCC didn't do anything about it. He jammed it forever. I don't even know. I don't think the net goes on anymore um, because the net might have been, they just might have gave up. He jammed it and jammed it and jammed it. <laughs> the FCC did nothing. So all these people who are scared, the FCC's going to get me. If you're not interfering with public safety, you're probably going to be all right. What totally I've seen, that's that's it. If you're not interfering with, oh, excuse me, with public safety, you're, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not getting on the repeater, the local yeah. repeater, and just you know, running your mouth or to make those 85-year-old hams come after you. You're probably going to be all right on your, your simplex, you know, 144.200. I mean, <laughs> that's I, it's funny how scared people are. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can totally agree that the, the, the FCC isn't what people or the hams make it out to be, and you can uh, you can get away with way more than you think in Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> um, also speaking of that, I didn't I didn't realize I didn't realize there was actually some ham P25. I actually brought it up over the repeater over our yeah. net check-in and one of the guys here is like, "Yeah, I got a P25 radio." Told me the frequency. I was like, "Oh, right on. I didn't I actually didn't know about that." We have if you get on repeater book here in the DFW area, there is a P25 repeater. You can get on it. Oh, that's cool. It's, it's UHF. But it's the only one on repeater book in the whole DFW area and DFW area is vast. I mean, it does exist. It's out there. There are almost no digital repeaters in my area. There's like one DMR repeater, and it's like 17 or 18 miles away. I can't hit it from where I'm at with an HT. Same. I'd have to go down to like Boise to go find a nearby DMR repeater. We we did have a DMR repeater here. They got it shut down, but I'm going to go out and uh, tangent here. If you're using the internet to get contacts because our DMR repeater was connected to the internet. I mean, I might as well be able to call you at your house on my cell phone and be like, hey, now a contact because there's no difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's no difference. That's the same. The repeater that's near me is also connected to like the internet with all the worldwide talk groups and everything like that. And I just have no interest. No, in it's, not, it's not really radio. D-Star? Yeah, that's kind of how D-Star the D star nodes are right. I mean, most D star goes over. There. I will ban you from this podcast if you talk oh, about. Oh, dude, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the new host, guys. <laughs> but, but for real, if you're if you're making a contact over the internet, that doesn't really count as a radio contact. I right now, right now, no, you doesn't. guys, you guys should give me your call signs because I'm gonna put it in on QRZ as my. No. As <laughs> I made a contact tonight because it's the same thing. <laughs> Fuck. Man, I'm, I'm fucking dying, bro. I was going to say, I want to bounce back uh, and talk about some of the HF stuff again. I know that was like 30 minutes ago or whatever. Um, but I'm interested in uh, what Tony has to say. Um, 
like if you had to go with a man portable HF unit for data operations, what would it be? I already told you because I'm not going to recommend the 6100. It's going to be the 705 and a Microsoft Surface Pro. Good answer. Okay. And I, I, just so you guys know, I haven't had, I don't have a 705, but I have the 6100. And I'm telling you right now, go with the 705, spin the double, you get UHF and VHF. You also get the single side, sideband capabilities and uh, this Chinese shit. I got a buddy here locally. He's an HF guy. He's actually one of the guys who taught me a lot of what I know about radio. But talking to him about HF, he kind of helped me, you know, study a little bit and, and get my general license. But like, all right, I got I got past it. Now what? He's like, go get a go get a seven hundred five. That's the radio you want. That's the QRP radio. Go get it. And if you look out there, you scan Instagram, you get on the ham pages. That's 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 the QRP HF radio that. Now it is. It is not. Yeah. I want to say. Uh, oh man, I can't even think of his name. The guy you had a few episodes ago from Idaho. He's got that five nine nine. That is way. Tanny yeah. and that's yeah. His username is. I escapes me. And Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, because I him and I have. Ten. It's Tanny Alu. Him and I've talked over HF. Uh, when he was out doing one of his things, I got on my radio. Uh, his five nine nine. That is a way more sturdy radio i mean we're talking you know the 705 would be you know compared to a, i guess a as fragile as a, a 878 compared to your t100s or x x5000s they're they're not the same yeah. build quality i have guess you, have you ever looked at the how they build those things it's machined aluminum then yeah it's like polyurethane gaskets all the way through and through and then like like throw that thing on a highway going 40 miles an hour and run over it with a on the demo video oh yeah those radios are amazing but they don't come with a tuner they don't come with an external battery they're military connections which are a pain in the ass because you got to re-fire shit so this it's Russian, yeah, or Ukrainian, it? I think it is. They moved uh, all production to yeah. United Arab Emirates at, during the Ukrainian war. Because oh. uh, oh. during the um, oh, okay. during the sanctions, you couldn't get them here anymore, and you no, know, they they yeah. Europe sanctioned all the Russians too. So they got smart and they're like, "Fuck this, we're out of here. We're gonna go make these where we can sell them." <laughs> We're fucking out of here. If you guys haven't done QRP, so this is the problem where where HF goes. I'd recommend QRP rigs. And so, you know, 10 watt rigs and you go out and you set up and you're like, man, I'm not making any contacts, you know, and you're mad because you're like, what's going on? Yeah, because you have a QRP rig, you know, and you got other dudes out there running a thousand watts on top of you. So that, oh my God, it, it (laughs) it, it does become a problem. And I've also seen, I was going to bring this up that, Invis, because we talked about Invis earlier. Just if if you search Invis stuff online, you're gonna someone will eventually stumble across this that you can't do Invis without at least a hundred watts. That's not true. I've done it with ten, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. What the tech prepper has done it yeah, on. You six. have better luck. You have better luck, obviously, with thirty, forty watts. But yeah, if you, you're okay. You're, you lose a lot of energy to space. Yeah. Your QRP radios, you will not be near as happy with. I'm just telling you. So if you're going to do something in your house, you want a base station in your house, have a 100-watt radio. I recommend the ICOM 718 because it's so easy 
and they're so menu. It's not menu driven like the Ike or the Yasus. The Yasus are horrible. I've got an 857 and an 817. You get lost in the menu. You hit the wrong button, and all of a sudden the whole thing don't work. The Icoms are so much. <laughs> the Icoms are so much easier to use. They really are. They're less menu driven. I have an Icom 706. Uh, MKH2, I don't know. It does VHF, UHF, and then HF. And then I have the ICOM 718. That's what's running at the house right now. That's what I run constantly. This poor radio, I run 24 hours a day most of the time and JS8 call running with it. Let's reel this back in real quick and talk about why HF. When would you use HF? What is HF good for tactically? Is HF good for in an emergency versus VHF and UHF? It is. It's once we'll just say you get past the 15 mile range. Okay. You get past the 15 mile range of contact. I'm just saying 15 miles because, like I told you, I got six meters to go 30. Um, if you're not line of sight, and like uh, Tito said in Florida, he can get VHF maybe a mile. That's where HF comes in. Right. HF comes in. Well, it depends for, for me. I mean, I've done 30 miles here on VHF okay. in Florida. I've done six, seven, eight miles, no problem. But if you're really in the thick of it and there are there is some elevation here, and if you're down in a low area and then there might be a hill and then your buddy's in another low area, I mean, yeah, you're not completing that kind right. of shot. That's where HF comes in. HF and uh, Civil's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I grew, I actually, my mom lives like 90 miles north of there. It's pretty flat. So there ain't a lot of elevation. You know, if I wanted to, if I was in Oklahoma City and I wanted to talk to Dallas Fort Worth and he was part of my team, HF Invis is where that comes in. Right, right. And so I think it's good to mention for the new guys listening, HF is going to be like a stationary thing. It's not a handheld radio because you got to get a big ass antenna out and string it up horizontally across the ground versus your handheld is going to have a little antenna sticking out the top of your radio. So it is a different thing, but there are HF rigs out there that you can set up very quickly, expediently and, and get it retacks. And that's where your comms windows are going to come in and, and that sort of thing. And so let's, let's also do this on HF, your antenna, if we're going to do Invis stuff, because what Invis is near vertical incident sky wave, it's sending the signal straight up in the air. It's bouncing off the atmosphere and coming basically straight down, straight back down. And do they say a 500 mile radius? I don't know. I, I have no way to measure that, but it does work. I can measure that. Um, you got to spread that. That antenna is a horizontal antenna compared to most handhelds, which is our a vertical antenna. That's another thing there. And they call HF sky wave because your your signal's going straight up and then coming straight back down. Versus your handhelds is is called ground wave because it's going parallel to the ground. You know, if you just think about signal path, uh, ground wave is going to bounce off of every tree, building, bridge, steel structure. You know, you name it, going to bounce off of it unless you have clear line of sight. That's why line of sight is so important. HF, you know, going know. straight up, bouncing off the atmosphere, coming right back down. There's no obstructions there. So that's that's the magic there. It's also harder to DF. And uh, during the daytime, you're probably going to have the best luck with 40 meters. That's the 700 megahertz range. At at nighttime, you're probably going to have better luck with uh, 80 meters, 3 megahertz to 4. But you can also run 80 megahertz during the day. 80 megahertz really is showing to be the all-around 
all around uh, frequency, day and night. I have not done a lot of testing on 80 megahertz. Most of mine has been daytime 40 megahertz, which I've had great tests, great luck with. I got a question for you. Have you done ground wave HF? Because I know that's a thing. CB is technically HF band, but no, it's not an HF radio. It's hatchet radio. Uh, I, I'm, I guess is six meters, six meters VHF. But I guess well, six, I don't know. Meter, six meters, depending on the solar cycle, is HF. They call it the magic band because they skip across the country. So it's hard to determine, you know, if you're ground waving or or sky waving. Now I would say the testing I did on six meters was all ground wave, and that's where I got the thirty miles because. There was nobody hearing me I because what I was doing is I had JSA call running, hollering for heartbeats from the house, which anyone that was Skyway propagation would have replied to. I never got a reply. All I got was my own station replying. Yeah, it sounds like ground wave. I know like you can do, there's, there's people out there that do it, and I don't know how you do this, but like 20 meter ground wave is a thing. I can't imagine sticking up, let's see, 20 meter, that's what, roughly 60 feet, so... Half wave, 20 meter antenna. That's a 20 foot antenna, a 20 foot 30, vertical 30, antenna. 33. Yeah, 30. Yeah, 32 feet. 33 feet. feet vertical antenna. That's a big honking antenna right there. But, but there are people out there that do ground wave on 20 meter. Like, how does oh, that yeah. work? Yeah, you, if, if, you want, if you want to set it up, I mean, and got someone else to set it up with, it, it'll work. I mean, I, I don't have anyone, just like we talked about, I've got no one to set that up and even test it. Yeah, so I think we talked about it uh, the last episode I was on, um, the one HF contact I've made, is I have a, um, I have a vertical whip antenna, and I had that set up on 20 meters. That, that antenna that I have, that it's like the MFJ 1899 or something like that. But at the base of that antenna, it's got these jumper slots, and it comes with this cable, so you can jump between different points on that base, and it's just coils wound up around the base that, like we were talking about, electrically lengthen the antenna to get it up to resonant on 20 meters. So that's probably how a lot more of it's being done. But that could also be why I've only ever made that one contact on HF, because that's the only antenna I've got right now. Excited to get an HF, you know. I got I got my general. I haven't done anything with it since I got it. I haven't even shopped. I mean, I I, I guess I've I've slightly <laughs> shopped. But gear ten, gear radio, get your antenna up. We'll do direct contacts, you to I, because I hear Oklahoma and Texas, they just boom in here. I need to do the same thing, and that's why I was going to ask. Um, I I think I asked it in one of the groups recently. Is like. I was looking at just doing like maybe like a more lower cost HF build, but something more man portable. And I'm thinking about doing like the Zygu G90 and putting it in a Pelican case as like a more of like a field expedient uh, HF deployment. And I wanted to know what Tony's thoughts on that were like going with the G90 versus the 6100, the G90 being like 20 watts and a little bit smaller of a unit. Um, The G90 is going to be bigger. G90 doesn't have a sound card. Oh, yeah, it doesn't it? have okay. a sound card either with it. So you'll have to buy they uh they sell a sound card to go with that. I don't think it has a tuner either. I could be wrong. It has a tuner. I was just looking on okay. the Radioddities uh website and they're doing a deal right now. It's four hundred and forty five dollars for the G ninety, the just sound card it, and the, <laughs> just the just bracket. buy it. For four ninety for four ninety. Just buy it. <laughs> 
I mean, you're getting double the power. <laughs> Lots of people have great luck with the G90. Just buy it. That's what I was wondering. Or if I should just like save up and go with like a more maybe military style uh, or like part 90 style. Oh, don't, uh, no, don't go. I, don't, don't buy the ICOM. <laughs> Look. All right. So we've had this discussion. That ICOM radio, you got to have two of them. That's $6,000. Because what good is it to have? What good is it Fuck. to have the encryption and all the shit if only one side has it? You might as well just have some fucking... We might as well have yeah. the G90. Um, there's, I shared that one radio from China, and it was... Uh, it was basically a Q900 military style one, and it had this encryption at frequency hopping. Just so anyone listening to this, it doesn't have encryption. You got to pay for it. It comes from a third party. Party they decide your encryption. The frequency hopping have to pay for it. It probably is a third party also. So basically, you have nothing. You have the Q900 for two thousand dollars, um, but it it does Fuck. it does you <laughs> no good. Even if you had all that capability without the other side having it. You might as well have an HF radio. Yeah. I would buy yeah, that. That, that exactly. G90's been out long enough. If that's what you want to try for your, your HF, I just buy it, especially if it comes with the sound card. I just buy it. And we'll rig some shit up. We'll get some comms from here to Florida. Um, I, w- I will tell you, Damn. voice is not going to get here to Florida right now. I've tried and I've tried. Digital, put a computer, whatever you got, put JS8 call on it. We will have comms from here to Florida, it, it, especially during the day on 20 or 40 meters. Probably on 20 meters during the day, 40 meters at night. We'll make some direct contacts. Because as I've been doing this stuff, um, I was like, all right, HF is great. I love HF. But I need direct contacts. I don't need to contact some ham in Michigan to tell me what the weather is. That's not what I'm wanting. (laughs) I don't don't need that shit. I don't care what the weather is in Michigan. It probably sucks. And then you have objects floating (laughs) over the sky that the government's shooting down that ain't even saying what the hell they are. I don't care. Hey, that was that was in Montana. That's close to you. Today. Uh, No, no, this is is new. Yeah, they shot one down this morning. Oh yeah. Well, oh, was that in that was was today? That today? They shot another one down in Michigan over like Europe, dude. I can't tell if it's World War Three or Independence Day. I'm it's, fucking confused. Aliens are coming. WW Independence Day. <laughs> it's a narrative they're trying to set. I I believe in UFOs. I I 100 believe in aliens. I think these guys are making this shit up. I think I you know and I'm seeing all these. Well, we shot down a UFO. You shot down something wasn't a UFO, but yeah, they shot they shot one down over the Great Lakes today. I mean, this is out of hand. They're like, oh, we shot down another UFO. No, Shit. you're shooting. I've been so busy today that I haven't even I fucking think they're, they're, This is a reaction to the first balloon that went over. Now they're like, oh, we gotta we gotta do something to save face. So let's let's quote shoot down these quote items that are shooting over across the sky, and you know. Hey, look, we're doing something about it now. Because the first one, they let it float all the way across the country and get into the ocean before they shot it down. I agree. I don't think they're actually shooting anything down. I think they're just making shit up. To do exactly that, save face. They're like, well, no, we're shooting them down now. Like, dude, (laughs) you didn't shoot down the one that covered everything. Get that G90. If that's pretty cheap, dude, I I would buy that. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm really torn between, like, doing that G90 or if, uh... For like a little bit more money, I can get a Motorola XTL 5000 high power unit, 110 watts in VHF with AES encryption for oh, my man. truck. Look at and this. I'm Look at torn this. between those two this. options. You already got. How many more VHFs do you need? <laughs> all uh, of them. All of them. At least. <laughs> all, yeah. All of them. <laughs> Dude, you don't have HF. Look, let's think of capabilities. 
If you don't have HF capability right now, you need it. I do need it. Too. It's all about the capabilities. It's you can have. We don't need a hundred. It's like we don't need a hundred VHF radios. We need four or five. Kind of like, kind of like I need another Glock. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need Jake. Jake. You don't need another Glock. <laughs> How many AR? You guys, I want to tell you guys right now. I sold one of my ARs to buy an HF rig. I'm no one's going to follow me. Yeah, exactly. I sold. An, I sold an AR-15 uh, to buy an HF radio. And I think most people listening to this should do the same. thing. I agree. You really should. If you've if you've got six a six AR-15s, sell one and buy a radio. Buy an HF radio. An HF radio is great too. Has anyone ever? Okay, rather than just communicating have you ever scanned through past the ham bands to listen to all the crazy shortwave radio shit that goes on it is insane talk about that for a minute because i haven't at all no i haven't and i need to yeah you guys need to there's more out there than just ham radio guys there's alex jones is on shortwave radio <laughs> no way yes. wait he's what? on shortwave radio he's on there and you're like what the fuck is this? And it's Alex Jones screaming. I need you this. Have- <laughs> I need oh. Alex Jones over shortwave. I need it. Okay, the decision's been made. You, you have to scroll outside, outside the shortwave radio, out the handbands. You're like, there's a lot of shit out here. Like, you're, it's crazy. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you the truth. Alex Jones is on shortwave radio. To your point, shortwave radio listening is its own kind of hobby. There's a whole bunch of shortwave radios that you can buy, and they cost like two, 300 bucks. But they're like high-quality shortwave radios, and they got B and C connectors, and you can plug all kinds of antennas into them. And they don't transmit at all. They're just for listening only. If they're selling shortwave radios that listen to just shortwave, you know, that means there's got to be other stuff out there. So, touche. Good point. Yeah, maybe it's worth up HF radio just to see what else is out there. Oh, yeah. Your HF radio will listen to it because you just go to AM and then uh, they'll... You'll listen to Alex Jones and some crazy religious <laughs> frequencies. And then you're, there's other stuff. There's, you know, there's some, God dang, I can't remember what it's called. There was a Chinese English station. There's uh, uh, one out of Havana, Cuba. I mean, there's a world out there. There's a whole world out there that we're not, You're unless you're on shortwave, you don't hear it or see it. There is a huge that. reason for shortwave. That's, that's pretty awesome. I need to do this. Yeah, you guys, yeah, got, need, to you guys need to get on there. Yeah, so I, I've been looking at the G90 as well. I've been looking at it for a while, and I flip-flopped for a while on the 6100 and the G90, and then talking to some people and reading some reviews, I was like, ah, I don't know. The 6100's got enough bad S that maybe I shouldn't consider it anymore. So I've kind of come full circle back to the G90, and then I've looked at the the Lab 599 radio. I've looked at the 705, and you know, I it, money is a factor right now. I'm about to have another child, so... The G90, I mean, it's 20 watts. It's a lot better than 10 watts. You can do an external power source on it. Uh, You can make your resonant antenna for it. Yeah. It has a built-in antenna tuner. Right there, that's a plus, just the built-in antenna tuner. Like I said, you don't don't need the digital uh, sound card if you're not going to run digital. I run digital more than I do voice, so. I don't know if I'm right about it. I was just looking on the Radioddity's website a little bit ago, and they're doing a package deal. I think it's $450. It's the 
G90 with the sound card and the bracket that has like the external cooling That's, fan. I, I would jump on that probably. I th- was literally debating on buying the G90 myself. That's a better deal than I bought my X108 for. What's the price tag on it? I think it's like four fifty like dollars on Radioddity's website right now. I mean that for Just for as far as entry level goes, that's not as good as you're gonna get. And yeah. they're gonna be sold out now. <laughs> well, they probably won't be sold out just yet. They might be sold out once this episode drops. <laughs> What's that noise? Oh, oh. Uh, uh, there it is. Uh, there it is. Uh, uh, what was that? One. <laughs> that was the first thing I did when I got my mouth back in the day. I made it stop speaking Chinese. Believe it or not, there's people out there that don't know how to turn the Chinese language off on their baofangs. Believe it or not, there's people that can't even do anything on their baofangs. And they're like, hey, please help me. <laughs> <laughs> so... I made a cheat sheet for the Baofeng. I, it's one of the first posts I did. And I, it, I I call it ComSec, setting up the ComSec on your radio. And that is turning your beeps off, changing the language to English, and uh, turning the lights off on your radio. Because the last thing you want is be out in the field at night and you hit a button on your radio and that thing's strobing out in the middle of the darkness. It's something you should do. It's really not that hard. Go check out my page. Some of y'all got... Uh, Baofeng tutorial videos out there as well. It's, it's it's not that hard to do. It's worth doing it. That's one thing about the Initones. Can you actually turn the backlight off on those, the, the display light? I didn't mess with it, but I was thinking, this sucks because every time I key up, this light comes on. Oh, the LED or the screen? Yeah, the, L- the, front, front, the front face. Can you turn that off or it doesn't come on when you key up? I think there's a way to turn the brightness level down. Okay. So if you go to, uh, let me go back here. All right. So you go to the menu, go to settings, go to radio settings, uh, item number two, at least on the 6X2, I imagine that any, any tone 878 is the same menu as backlight. So you have backlight time, you have backlight brightness. Oh, okay. So you can change it. Yeah. I never um, mess with that part of that, the backlights, but I was wondering, I'm like, there's got to be a way to turn this off. These do, do these have that obnoxious alarm that the Baofengs have on it? I don't even know. I've never accidentally set it off like some people have. Oh, the call alarm? There's, you know, let me see if I can make this radio do it. Baofengs, yeah, I did, but I don't think the Anytones have them. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that, the Anytones have that. So, I know if, if you set that alarm off, you can push your PTT and it'll it'll transmit the alarm. I know that isn't because that, during training, we've done it. <laughs> isn't that part of the... I think that's part of the reason that they turned them to... They were mad about it was just that alarm. I remember seeing something about that. Now that's why they're DMRS only or whatever. I don't know. The Baofeng are whole. I still have a whole stack of Baofengs over here. I might uh, use them yesterday. Yeah. We, we used them for our fox hunt. Like I said, they're great for that fox hunting with the MP3 player is a great idea. Plus, you know, anybody who's new to radio like i got my brother-in-law a baofeng christmas i gave it to him after christmas but i still like like hey here's a baofeng you don't have a radio very basic radio with frs gmrs immerse channels and NOAA frequencies programmed into it oh it's- speaking of that no matter what radio i've got let's talk about programming i don't program my operational channels in there but i program frs gmrs and mers one through 20 what is it for frs gmrs one two 22 or 23 those are exactly the same that way if i do have someone that comes in and they're like hey i've got this frs freak you know radio i'm on channel one my channel one equals their channel one and i do that with every single one of my radios just for that fact if i can be like hey i'm on channel one on my frs all right channel five or whatever um switch to analog and i can talk to them 
It was kind of funny. I put a post up on Instagram, and uh, it was me doing. I think it was me doing the split frequencies. And some guys like, well, it's real easy to get those, for, you know, capture split frequencies. And I'm like, I'm literally using the merge frequencies to record videos to say somewhat legal, dude. That's not what I'm talking about. And and you know, it just like direction finding is much more difficult than it looks like, or more difficult than it's talked about. Locking onto a frequency with scanner or through SDR, unless you have like a, a legit wideband scan waterfall SDR, you know, it, it's going to take some time to monitor and observe and lock onto those frequencies. It's it's not as simple as turning on the SDR and oh, that's the frequency they're using. It's it, it doesn't work like that. You know, they have to be transmitting, so you got to be watching everything. Yeah, and it's crazy because these guys are like, well, I can get you with an SDR. I'm like, you could get me with your SDR if you know what frequency I'm on. If you have no idea, SDR is what, 2 megahertz wide? My SDR, my uh, SDR Sharp is 2 megahertz wide. That's not very much. I'm not seeing very much there. So I'm having to try to scan through. Well, you might be scanning 2 meters. And yeah, it, and, and that that is exactly it. You have to catch it. So... All right, I'm going to give you I, the last class I taught, the TACCOMS class. Um, I made them use analog, so I didn't let them use digital at all. I had a SIGINT group, which were literally a half a mile away. I had the talk and then the team out in the field, which were probably not more than a half a mile away. Um, the talk and the team in the field were using directional antennas, okay? We're, they're using Balfong. That's what they all had. That's what we're using. They were overly talking, like, because we were trying to get the, the SIGINT team to catch them. The SIGINT team had anything they wanted to use. They had the tiny SA. They had digital scanners. They had the close, the union, because they had multiple scanners, union with the close call feature. Um, they never caught them. All three teams were nebul- never able to catch the other team using analog radios half a mile away. Way. And of course, these guys were using directional antennas and low power. It's not as, and that's what I had made that post like, things get sorted out in the field. It's not as easy as you think. As me having my SDR next to my radio, or me having me, I put multiple videos where I've had the radio next to the scanner um, and it caught it. It's not the same as when you're out and, out and about. How close, would, if you're after, actually after someone, how close are you going to be to them? I would say a mile. I'd say a mile. You'd be like, that way you're stay away. They don't know you're chasing them. Whatever, a mile out. All right. Go a mile out and try to catch your buddies using analog, directional antennas, and actual, you know, RF reducing techniques. It's not that easy. So even with analog, it's not as easy as everyone thinks. And like you said, it's by chance. You happen to catch their signal by chance with your SDR or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not as easy as people as people try to say it is, or people assume that it is that easy, I think is more what it is. It's not people saying it's that easy, but people are yeah, assuming and, it's and, that and easy. in your house and you know, the frequency and you put your SDR on the same frequency your radio is. Yeah, that's, that's easy. It's easy. So I'm going to give an opposite of that though. I was opt for the scout class um, here in central Wyoming. I was opt for, I, I will admit I hung out with the guys through the, uh, it was two days before I was off for. I just hung out with them, and I seen how horrible they their their comsec was. It was awful, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna nail these dudes to the wall. <laughs> so, um, I, I and I was. <laughs> so I'm like, these guys have the worst comsec I've ever seen, and so and I'd watched it the day before. So I took my scanner, 
This is a little bit bashed on SDR a little bit. I took my scanner and I had a roof mount antenna. So if you guys don't know, you can use that roof mount antenna anywhere. So if you have a roof mount antenna in your truck, I took the roof mount antenna off my truck, threw it on top of a tin-roofed building, and then plugged it right into my scanner. It ups your receive level when you do that. I took that. I had two SDRs. I had one scanner. I didn't have these uh, newer, better scanners. I had an old Whistler, but it was an RCA or an RCA scanner. But it was still P25. It was still digital. It would do signal stalking. So, hooked that up. Hooked the SDRs up. I had a guy on the SDR on the computer. A guy on the SDR on the phone, like Terminal Armaments runs. Um, so, I had those guys running. They were just scanning. They are looking for stuff. And then, scanner going on. Um, within five minutes of the operations, I had the guy's first frequency now they're running balfangs they weren't running digital that's why i'm pro digital um they weren't run, they were running balfangs analog within five minutes of the operation i had their their frequency monitor it listen to it i started recording with my phone some of their talk i was playing it back to them it was messing with them it was hilarious it was hilarious <laughs> i couldn't great. quit laughing when I, I played the one recording back four times the team leader was like i understand that what are they doing and the other guy never said hey that that wasn't me so i was dying laughing anyway so i got there did that they finally switched to an alternate frequency it was what we did what we do i already knew because i've been in the class that they probably went to a completely different they went to i think they went to vh or uhf for their old frequency their uh or vha first scanning UHF trying to find them. Well, they quit talking near as much. So by the time I found them, they were all almost ready to assault our area. And, and then I did catch them. And I didn't interfere with them that time because I wanted to know what they were doing. And I caught they were going just about to assault us. Right. So, I mean, if, if you have bad comsec, yeah, it's easy. I caught them guys in five minutes. They realized I caught them. They quit talking and it took right up to the very end for me to catch them. Had they been digital, I never probably would have caught them because digital's not not as easy to catch. SDR caught no one, just so you guys know. They got nobody. We were scrolling through. It wasn't not SDR. Both times, it was the older the older scanner that caught their frequency. Interesting. That's uh, that's super interesting, actually. I mean, those scanners are good at what they do. I, I, I have to give it to them. Those, those scanners, those unit in scanners, the digital scanners and stuff like that, they are... Some of them are pretty pricey, but they do what they are made to do the price tag on your unit i'm gonna say straight if you want it to decode dmr it's gonna be 500 bucks if you want it to decode uh what is it dnx and dx next in yeah it's another 75 dollars on top of that um the the whistler trx1 is 500 and decode all of it yeah i remember pricing them out after watching a few of your videos and i was like ah, i'm gonna stick with my 30 dollars you know what dude i i agree I mean, if you can get the SDR to decode it, why wouldn't you do that? Um, if you've seen one of the, the videos I just posted about the frequency counter, do not buy that frequency counter. It was outrageous. It caught the P25, didn't get DMR, which it should have. It was $600. I would not buy that. Uh, actually, if someone messaged me and asked me about it, I'm like, don't buy that. Buy the, buy, you know, because you don't get nothing. You just get the frequency. You don't get actual anything to listen to. I was like, Buy the union if you want something to listen to and do frequency counting. Hey, in other news, I cleaned up these radios and testing the lights. Aha! Uh, you got them working? 
Yeah, they're working. I don't know what the fuck they're well, programming. He's got two working. working. So they got deprogrammed stickers on them, but they're programmed. <laughs> yeah, they said they got big ass stickers <laughs> on the back that say deprogrammed, and they're not deprogrammed at all. And it's there's stickers on the back that say San Diego <laughs> County. <laughs> this this one I got this P two or this P twenty five I got. It's they're all programmed for one five four zero zero zero. Yeah, and it's it's P twenty five and analog. They're just one fifty four. <laughs> But I can't change them. I actually got on the repeater with this, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, these things are yeah. So they're pretty nice. I I got on my analog repeater with them. Um, hopefully, the second one I get is all right. I'm excited to test out TMF on these things. Oh yeah, dude, you need to. Are you talking about the fifty one hundreds? Yeah, these fifty one hundreds TMS on fifty one hundred. That's gonna be uh, be awesome, man. That's gonna be super cool. I am excited to figure out these uh, radios a little bit more. I've got the XTS five thousands down pretty good, but these are my first fifty one hundreds. Oh, and I wonder if the TMS is the same as far as setting it up. I don't know. You that you're you're gonna be more of an expert. I'm 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 like Tony. I I've been touting the these BTEC 6X2s for a while and very accessible radio. And we've had a little bit of a problem running the encryption on them, but so far they're like, it's very user-friendly. Excited to get any of these 5100s. They're UHF radios and I'm, ex- I'm excited to test out the TMS on them and check some of the propagation on them and, you know, bulletproof radio, great features. EF Johnson did a great job engineering these things. So excited to dive in a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if this is if this is programmed to digital, but it sounds pretty damn good. Look, if you're fuck, if you're the RTO of your group, you have a need to mess with. We need to mess with all these radios. That's why I've got them too. We've got to mess with these radios. We got to see what you know what we think. We got to mess with all of them. We try to figure these things out, um, and it all the way to HF digital modes, whatever you want. That is your role as the RTO of your group. Yeah, it's 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 uh yeah, it's R and D, man. Well, I think it's the RTO's uh, it's the RTO's responsibility to be able to uh, operate on as much of the spectrum as possible in as many modes yeah. as possible. One hundred percent, you're right. And so, you know, I bought this P twenty five. I had my ideas about it. Most of my ideas were right, but I still bought them because I needed them hands-on. I needed to see what this would do. Am I going to say it's a bad radio? No, no, I'm not going to say it's a bad radio. But I do need to, as an RTO and an instructor, be like, yeah, I've got hands-on with this. This is my thoughts, negative and positive. That's what I think. I was going to ask, uh, Tony, your experience with the Anytones, something that uh, the Tactical Comms guy has been posting recently on uh, his Instagram channel. Mm-hmm is some of the Chinese radios having problems with implementing encryption over packet data. Do the Anytones have that same problem? Yes, they do. 100%. Yeah. Um, that is my number one negative with the Anytone BTEX. Your packet data is fully open. Um, yeah. You're going to have to learn the one-time pad. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought, which is something that's a, it's a big plus to the P25 system, at least. At least... Uh, I. Like I said, I just picked up some 5100s. I need to figure out some more behind the scenes on those. But my experience with uh, XTS 2500s and XTS 5000s from Motorola is you can actually make sure that any packet data transmitted only happens over encryption or and the, and the radio will only authentic, uh, authenticate and respond to packet data that is also encrypted with the same keys. Yeah, yeah the Anytones is 
that part of them sucks. I think resilient civilian and I have actually had that discussion with high Terra also. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the high Terra is capable of, um, of encrypting the SMS messages and the IP data. I would fucking hope so for $800. 800. They look like when I looked at them, they're like 1200. Depending on the model, unless you're picking them up used, then yeah. If you're looking at some of the new handhelds, like the HP series, then yeah, those ones are definitely expensive. My PD 782, this one was, uh, what, $300? But, you know, the, the big downside to them is encryption is that extra fee, and it's that's a major downside. What is the cost? Yeah, what is it? Encryption? Yeah. Uh, about yeah. an extra 200 bucks. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, big, big downside. Fuck. Other than that. So that's the nice part about the, the Motorola's, the XTS, is if my radio doesn't have encryption, I can buy an encryption module for it. And so here bucks. we yeah, here. The nice, things about the, the nice thing about the 5100 is they all have it already. And from my understanding, at least most of them. And so here we go back to the buying used and getting a better radio than what you buy used. We can buy the 51 or your radios, the XTSs, and you're already getting the ability to encrypt them. You don't have to pay any extra. You just need the key loader. Well, you can use the software-based uh, ADP, Advanced Digital Privacy Encryption, which is just a 40-bit encryption. It's what I was using until I bought uh, UCMs for all my radios. But yes, you there is a lower-level software-based encryption standard that can be used right off the bat as long as your XTSs have the updated firmware. Um, and I believe it's the same way on the EF Johnson's, but then the, the EF Johnson's software is much more available than the XTS's and easier to use. Uh, and then as from, from my understanding from, you know, people I've talked to is most of the EF Johnson 5100 radios have AES 256 encryption. It just needs to be enabled through a software, uh, package to do it. And I should mention with the, uh, with the high is that license is, um, at least on, Depending on the model, on the PD782, that's the one where you have to pay for the AES encryption. Uh, but it comes with ARC4 standard. And some of the lower models, you have yeah. to pay for ARC4. You don't even have the option for AES. That's crazy to me. And what's the price tag on that high terror encryption? On the AES encryption? Yes. About $200. Yeah. yeah, that's what he was saying before. It's like 200 bucks. That doesn't make sense. You see, that's the nice thing about these BTECs is the current firmware, you can get AES encryption built in. And with Anytone. Well, that's like, that's basically all, all Hytera is doing is you got to send it to them. They're going to plug it into a computer and just enable that feature through software. That's all they're doing. That's exactly what Motorola used to do. It's what EF Johnson used to do back when these radios, like the 5100s and the 5000s were like the new hotness is you'd have to send these radios in or when you ordered them and, and that's all they're doing is they're plugging it into software and clicking a button and then charging you. Money well, and they're not it. even the ones that are, that are plugging it in. You, you talk to a dealer and you give them the information for your radio, like your serial number and all that. And they send you the license and then you just load that through your CPS. Oh yeah. But you got to pay for it. That's stupid. There's got to be a way to hack that. I'd be lying if I said I hadn't looked. That's where the Anytones and the BTEX come in, is we put our own stuff in for free. Yeah. Hi, Tara, that's a single band radio, yeah. am I correct? It is, yeah. yeah that, see, that's the nice yeah. thing about the Anytone and the BTEX. It's dual band. Yeah, it is, but it's also, it's not waterproof. It's nowhere near as durable as the Hi, Tara. No, it's not. You're right. That, and that's what we were talking yeah. about earlier. You know, there, there's going to, no matter what, you choose you're going to make a sacrifice somewhere yeah because if i drop my any tone the right way the battery's going to pop out 
Yeah, I've actually tested that. We've done drop tests on these BTEC radios, and the battery pops out. I mean, they've they've survived every drop test we've done on them, but you know, it's only a matter of time before somebody drops it, and that's it. Yeah, because there's a definite weak point on these. The where the battery latches in before it um, before the actual like clip up at the top. That's just a little plastic notch for the battery to clip into down on the bottom of the radio. Like that can only take so much abuse. That's what duct tape's for. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Great, uh, but that's, that's that's not ideal. That's not that's not optimal. You want something robust. I mean, these EF these EF Johnson fifty one hundreds. That battery going in there, like holy shit, this thing ain't coming out. Yeah, it's the same on the Hytera. I mean, I'm fucking with one right now, and I'd be pretty surprised if the battery popped off of one of these. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. I mean, these radios are pretty beat up, but they yeah. still work. Yeah. At least one of them is. One of them's like really good condition. The other one's kind of beat up, and the other one's <laughs> Hey, Tony, if you had a couple nuggets of knowledge for anybody that's getting into radio, what would you say to them right now? Uh, that's putting me on the spot more than normal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been said already. Get your equipment. Get out and mess with it. No matter what it is, I don't care what it is. I don't care. Like, I don't care if you guys use analog, whoever. Not saying you guys. I don't care if you use digital. I don't care if you use smoke signals. But know how to use your equipment. Get out and use it. Test it. See where it's good for. See where you're lacking. You know, training is where it's at. It's not necessarily the equipment. Training. Train, 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 get out and practice with everything you've got. I said this on another podcast and I referenced you because you made a post when there was a bunch of uh, back and forth bickering about the Baofeng. But you said it best. Shit gets worked out in the field. You know, I think that that's a very wise thing to say. You know, get out there and use your equipment, whether it's just a Baofeng or a Baofeng and a DMR radio or a Baofeng, a DMR, and a P25 radio. You know, put all that stuff to the test and stress all of it out and test your limitations. We've talked about that in other podcasts. Look, your skills what matters. Not your not your equipment. Your skill is actually what matters. What can you do? What do you know how to do? You know. So that's what you're testing. You know, the equipment does matter some, but you need to get out and test yourself, test your equipment, test your skill. Things get sorted out in the field. Me telling you that I my scanner will pick P25 up while they're sitting right next to it isn't the same as my scanner picking P25 up a mile away. Me telling you that, hey, I can fucking uh, you know, DF you real easy with your Baofeng isn't the same as me actually DFing you with my Baofeng out in the field. It's not the same. It's not the same. And you got to see it. And you got to see uh, signal reflection off buildings this weekend. That day, no one knows that. Not very many people. I know S2 Underground put that out there. But no no normal person, they're like, oh, I could just DF you. And then they're DFing you and they're going the wrong way because your signal's bouncing off a building. That's yeah, real me, life. Let me talk about that real quick. Yeah. I, I put that in, a, in the group chat that we're in yesterday. So we went out. We set this little uh, beacon that I put together out on a parking garage. And we went and DF'd it from multiple around town but we knew where this beacon was placed and uh we used a mapping software we didn't use atac we used something else um i think it's called open maps and android don't use a stay off atax stay off atax if you're using anything that's throwing your signal and anything else out in the field you, i mean to go play and go mess around that's fine otherwise stay off atax you don't need that learn map and compass 
you were direction finding this stuff, taking a compass bearing, uh, putting it into this map software that we had. And we, we knew where we planted this thing. So this was just an exercise, but what we discovered was, Hey, we're getting a hard reading off of a direction that we know it's not in this direction. So we, we drove closer to where the beacon was. And when, what do you know? There's a big building there at a 45 degree angle from where we put the antenna, where we put the transmitter. So, so you know what that tells us? is all that glass and all that concrete at that 45 degree angle from that antenna it was it was reflecting that signal you know in a concentrated pattern towards where we were receiving it from so you know good lesson learned hey look you know you're going to df this stuff and you're not going to get an accurate reading it's going to be reflecting off of objects in the area so just good lesson learned go go put this stuff to the test for yourself you know first hand experience shit gets worked out in the field yeah exactly yeah um you know, something to go along with that was like, I used to, I was like anti-repeater and I was anti-repeater. And then I, you know, I did watch S2 Underground's video and I'm thinking, this guy's got a good idea or a good idea, you know, use directional antennas towards the repeater and the repeater repeats out and they, and, and, you know, the repeater repeats out at 50 watts. You're going in at five, everything DS back towards the repeater. Yeah, they might hear what you're saying, but it all DS yeah. back to the repeater. Yeah, for sure. That repeater is kind of a decoy yeah. in many aspects. Yeah, no, that's exactly what that what it's working as right there. It's it's broadening your your range of communication, but it's also making itself the the target in a situation where it could be DF'd and, and targeted by uh, some kind of force. And then, you know, if you were like you and I, whatever, if that got taken out, we got HF Invis to communicate with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, uh, my biggest thing is test. Test away. Yeah, test it. We beat that horse to death with Andy. Yeah, that horse is gone. He resurrected it tonight. <laughs> oh, that's been a theme throughout the podcast. And if you're going to take anything away through listening to all these podcasts is take this advice, man. You know, you, you've heard it firsthand. You've heard real-time stories from the field. Get out there and test your equipment. Spend all your time behind the screen researching how to do this stuff and testing it in your home. Oh, do it. Get off your ass. Go train. You know, you are as good as your skill set. So go develop your skill set. It's much more fun going and doing it than yeah. it is reading about it. For sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely get oh, away. Get from behind the screen and get in front of the screen. Go out and do it. Test it. See what works. Um, and train. I'm, I'm all about training. I'm, you know, uh, as On Point Tactical says, training trumps gear. And that is, there's no other truth than that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good conversation, guys. I had a great time. I stayed on for a lot longer than I told the fiance I was going to, but uh, yeah, I, I had a great time. <laughs> no, this is a good one, man. We we touched a bunch of really good topics. I hope uh, hope you guys listening. I hope you learned something from this. And as always, if you have any questions, reach out to any one of us. We're here to help. We're here to answer questions. We want to help everybody get along. Uh, Tony, where can we find you at? Well, I'm on Instagram, Wyoming Survival, and then I am also on WyomingSurvival.org places and you need to hit me up hit me up i get tons of questions i try to answer as many as possible yeah his uh his website's really cool guys actually there's a lot of really good information there everything from antenna building and all that kind of stuff so check it out and of course we got resilient civilian andy plus your screen name even though i just said it <laughs> oh it's easy it's at resilient civilian on instagram there you go and of course we got sort of man outdoor Yep, Florida Man Outdoor on Instagram, uh, YouTube. I need to 
post some more videos for the P25 programming stuff. Definitely some more videos coming soon, especially considering you got some EF Johnson 5100s in. Uh, check that stuff out. Well, gentlemen, thank you for the conversation. It's been a good one. We touched on a lot of topics. I think we got a lot of good uh, takeaways for the listeners tonight. Uh, thank you for that. As always, you guys, keep listening. Send us any comments, likes, whatever you can in the whatever platform you're listening to us on. Send us your questions. Let us know what topics you want to hear from us. We'll do the best to touch on those as we can. Not go on rabbit trails. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Bye bye.